Hello, 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 and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast, where every week we bring you a new album, and this week's album is presented to us by Steve. But first, let me introduce our two, my two co-hosts, Storm and Steve. Storm, would you like to say something? You're an idiot. This is getting weird. Oh, thank you for chiming in, Steve. It's not Matt, it's John. This is weird. I'm throwing off with the whole group dynamics. I don't know why you're talking in that weird, I don't know what voice either. I don't know what it is either. It's very... Because it's not not his voice, but it, there's something off about it. Yeah. It's, it's like, more of an announcement voice. It's that kind of like subtle Star Trek thing where you're you, but you're not you, and everyone's kind of slowly realizing this over the course of an hour. But I didn't shave, and so it's not like... we've got two hours to figure it out, more it's, or less. It's a two-parter. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. I didn't shave, so it's not like I'm in an alternate universe or anything. No, because you don't shave, you're you're the evil version of you. Well, then the good version of me hasn't been around for like years. I don't even know him. him. I don't even want to know him. Um, and the evil version of me ain't that evil. Just some follow up this week. Um, by now, you've heard the fifth installment of um, autographs, which I did with Justin Doyle of. Uh, Adage, uh, another band from Pavement Music, which um, I've already interviewed quite a few members from. Um, And uh, so I hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Um, Also, I wanted to chat a bit about how I got to see MC Fornalot this past weekend, which was a lot of fun. Um, Chat about it. I will. Um, So I saw MC Fornalot and Dr. Awkward, um, but the person who opened for them was a guy named Cornmo, who's actually very funny. Wait, wait, repeat that. Corn Mo. Okay, I didn't hear it the first time. So Stop laughing. His, he, he, he professional most, artist. Professional he had artist. a very, um, like, late 80s, early 90s, belty rock and roll voice, but he mostly played accordion and piano. And I think he did a lot of improv lyrics on, uh, um, and, and made up some stuff on the fly. He was actually pretty funny, and he um, had some... He, the music was very good, but also interesting, because it was not what I expected to open for two nerdcore rappers. Oh, that does sound interesting. I'm, I'm sorry I made fun of his name. That was, that was mean to me. The, the I'm other, sorry, Cormo. <laughs> Continue, please. The other thing was, so um, Dr. Awkward uh, was the second performer, and he's a nerdcore rapper. He... Uh, his last album was an album called Last Gen. Um, he's done a lot of nerdy songs and also songs from the heart, very personal stuff. What was really funny is he performed a song called Cougars. But before he performed it, he said, full disclosure, I wrote this song when I was 20. It's awful. I'm retiring it after this tour. Is it exactly what it sounds like? Yes. Right. He, he had picking up cougars in a bar. But the best part oh, about it was about cats. But the best part about this song was that halfway, th- like, as the chorus start, he would sing and then just drop his head and shake it. Like, he couldn't even commit to the song because it was so immature and old. It was hilarious and intentional, I'm sure, now. But at the time, I'm sure he was very serious when he wrote it, which is what gave it a depth. And I think... You mean it was so mature, right? <laughs> right? Am I, am right. right what I, on a serious note, what I liked about it is it showed depth of a performer. He acknowledged a thing he wrote when he w- didn't know what the hell he was doing, and he was very mature. Performed as an adult, but reacted as he would to himself if he could talk to himself back at that time. Well, I think it showed depth just as a human being. We should True. all acknowledge our, yeah. our, our evolution over the course of time. It's yeah. important to know even, that. Even Da Vinci realized some of his earlier attempts at flight didn't, didn't quite work out. Really? Anyway, um, also, um, um, Dr. Awkward performed his song that he does with Schaefer the Dark Lord, now hiring live, which was fun. Schaefer was at the show. I got to chat with him a bit. He's a little insulted that you guys don't believe he exists. I still don't believe he exists. Not that he's on the podcast. Yeah, sorry. If I don't touch it, see it. Not real. 
Um, and then the pictures a, don't prove it. That could be a fake. <laughs> right. Of yeah, course. yeah. You could have been providing them. It's 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 a quantum thing. Until we meet him, he is both real and not real. And also, Again, the I guess closer was MC Funnelot, <laughs> who, as someone who saw him three or four years ago, he's made a lot of growth as a musician. He, you know, like a lot of nerds, he, he sometimes felt uncomfortable with the full attention on stage, but now he's he's really in his character, he's very comfortable with his band, um, he performed some of the new songs, which was great, and some old favorites. Um, he did, he does a song with Dr. Awkward on one of his albums, so they performed that live. Um, it was a great show. I had a lot of fun. I saw Gary from Average Intelligence there. Um, oh, cool. And we chatted for a bit. But it was a great show. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to do a write-up for the site about it um, since it'll be the second Nerdcore show I saw this year. Um, so I'm excited to write about another one. Um, and I definitely... And as usual, you sound so excited. I'm trying to keep my voice at an even tone because when I get excited, I get loud. And I'm trying not to be super loud and blow out the microphone. Oh. Because that's proven so true in the past. His excitement, that is. Yes. Usually off-air when he's yelling at me. Yeah. Actually, almost exclusively off-air when he's yelling at me. Not just on-air. I've noticed it the last few that's, weeks. That's most of the yelling. He's very much like, I'm very excited about this <clears throat> next thing. And I want you to share it. I'm keeping my radio tone. Oh, good. No, I appreciate that. Should I go back to my radio tone? No. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, that, enough about that. Um, why don't we get into uh, Steve's album this week, which he chose. All right, I'll go to my podcast tone, which is how we are. Okay, My Brightest Diamond, This Is My Hand. Uh, My Brightest Diamond is a band that I've eagerly looked to for new albums, because I think much of what they do is at the cutting edge of modern music, without the pretentiousness that usually goes with it. I think that when you look at their past discography, their ability to effortlessly fuse together a very controlled, cinematic, fluid compositional style with an infectious pop framework is absolutely unmatched. And much of that is owed to the band's frontwoman, Shara Warden. Now, I've mentioned her frequently in the podcast, usually as a sort of pedestal archetype for other examples to this effect. Not that artists in those cases were necessarily following in her footsteps, but I often find that when there's incidental parallels, then good things definitely come of it. Now, she's also done some other prominent work, a former backup vocalist for Sufjan Stevens, who's another archetype from which good things seem to come, and she's also been featured with The Decemberists, notably for their giant concept album, Hazards of Love, in which she contributed her booming vocals. But for My Brightest Diamond, she is the primary composer, vocalist, and multi-instrumentalist. There have been some regular members and prominent session musicians and ensemble collaborations, like uh, the group Y Music, but this project is definitely her brainchild. I was lucky enough to see her in concert twice, once with the Decemberists and once as My Brightest Diamond a couple of years back at the uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music's Crossing Brooklyn Ferry event, where I discovered both her and Annie Clark of St. Vincent on the same day. So, as a big fan of her first album, Bring Me the Workhorse, and 2011's All Things Will Unwind, I am unquestionably biased. Unquestionably biased. But, right there, Roger Rabbit. That's right. But it does mean that my standards in this case are somewhat ridiculous. So, just by the nature of the game that we play, I'm expecting pretty much at least the same of what she's previously done. But, obviously, I won't hold it her to that as we go deeper into it well because we also look to have an evolution to the artist as well we that's right it's a, it's a, it's a portion of it but i it, it is primarily also them against the world in I, whatever album they do 
I always like when we have artists like this on that we've talked about before. In fact, we spent a topic talking about it, the one-man band, if you will, the the, the prominent artist who creates all the music for a project and plays all, all or most of the interests, instruments, like St. Vincent, like Nine Snails, you know, like Abandoned Pools. So I always like when we have an artist like this because it shows a dynamic and an interesting uh, conception because it's all coming from one place more or less especially artistic well in this case there's one thing that's a little bit different of course she does she is a multi-instrumentalist so she plays many things but of course there's a lot going on in this album there's a lot of things that of course she can't do and i'm sure session musicians are contributing so in this case it's, writing, it's more though. she did absolutely well, that's all the what i'm mostly talking about in these cases yeah is they're all people who do all of the writing true but the only difference is sometimes the performing aspect does uh because a lot of times, you know, you can be a composer, and then if you try to pass that over in your uh, in your instrumentation, your own personal instrumentation, the performing quality can be, well, whatever your quality is at. In other words, did you work harder at the performing aspect, or did you work harder at the composing aspect? In this particular case, she excels in the, uh, in the vocal performance, but she's really a more prime composer, I think, compared to anything else we've ever done, in which case they have to kind of juggle all balls at once here as a composer she hands it off to other musicians and it's 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 more of a um a professional working relationship in that way like what i mentioned with the the case of why music which right. is a, an ensemble right yes um well i mean and but those differences aside it's still the same same basic idea at least same basic idea and um and there's still lots of hand in the production work and all that sure stuff. of course yes um all right well i guess this is a good place to jump right into the first track pressure um this is where I think the production work uh, shows up big, and it gives us a, a framework in order to work with in this whole album. So I like because that. it's Sorry. got that it's got the tightness in everything as we're going along that I I I cannot I cannot get away from, and I don't want to get away from because everything seems to be introduced very systematically, but in such a way where it always seems appropriate to go to the next phase of the song. Uh, that start with that that heavy drum line, and um, which which I love because it feels like a, a legit, you know, football college level drum line, high quality. Well, mm-hmm. the sort it's, of guys, the sort of guys that actually get into those competitions and win. But let's not ignore that the song actually starts with a drum roll. It starts with a very basic standard drum roll, and then it goes into that drum line stuff, which I like. It starts sing singular. Well, that's usually builds. a part of the drum roll anyway. I mean, the drum line anyway I is guess. the drum roll. So it's like that's splitting hairs at that point. It's it it is it's exactly what you expect. It's a color guard marching band kind of thing. Which Even is it's, it's unique. one drum. It is one drum set. I believe I can so. Tell. I believe so. We don't know so. Either case, it's it's unique for an album because it's the kind of thing that's very tough to intertwine. As far as I'm as far as my experience takes me, it speaks of a very specific direction that you gotta be taking. It's it's impressive. And it is intertwined at first, since the instruments that follow here are also in the brassy field. And then on top of that, you get the flutes. So it's all the components of a marching band sort of coming together in a very big way, but not so much a grand way quite yet. And that, I think, takes me back to the, the mixing that you mentioned, in that it feels like everything is very, very closely mic'd Everything is, is, is clean. It feels like there's very little space in this album. And that's, that's okay by me. It actually becomes, the reason for that becomes more apparent later on. Um, I guess you could say it, this is considered, I would not quite consider it a fanfare. That's, I think, the distinction that I'm really trying to make here. It's strong, it's got that marching band feel, but it's not quite a fanfare because something in the music here, especially once the brass enters, it feels like something tonally is left just awry. 
I think that's actually very important, though, because the song also is speaking towards uh, a different idea than than a fanfare or anything, than a big introduction, because this is a very much a uh, a, 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 a I don't know how to get the idea across, because it's a very unique idea lyrically that she's presenting here. She's going after the diamonds. That's what this pressure is all about. What the diamonds represent is kind of fluid in in the overall theme. Uh, It's sort of an out of reach ideal that she presents that I just, I really enjoy as as she's singing it, uh, how she's describing her journey to this end game, to this culmination, to this reward. Well, I think for that, you've got to go back to the title, because the title, I mean, not just the title of the track, but the title of the album. The album is called This Is My Hand. It's a sort of, I interpret that as a sort of heart-in-your-sleeve kind of record. It's not that we haven't had a few of those, but this one really seems heavy-handed in that regard, and I think that's fully intentional considering the title. Not only that, the album cover is a picture of her. So right up front here, I think you're getting, uh, obviously it's it's very personal in in the... um, sense that it's something she is striving for. And if I were to make a gamble this early on in the record, just because I believe this is showing various different sides of her and it gets very deep later into this record, but as a f- opening track, I believe that this might be some sort of conveyance into how she basically conveys the world through music. Yeah. The kinds of diamonds that she that she envisions here seems like taking something that you see that has value and then trying to... to put pressure on it or, or to convey it in some sense. I could be totally wrong at this point, and this may this may be disproven later in the record, but it, it's something that I, I considered, especially as a more lighthearted opening. Well, also the title, This this Is My Hand, not only represents a personal, uh, uh, it being very personal, but it also represents a ownership. Like, as if she had done something wrong with her hands, she would be saying, this is my hand. I did this. Yeah. This is me. Or, I think that's or part even, of it, too. Or even uh, you can go through to the poker analogies where she's showing all of her cards. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that's that's exactly that's, how I took it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a couple different layers to it. Um, in fact, and when we get to the, the, to the title track, we're going to talk about that. But here I really want to point out one part of the chorus that really struck me. First, I'd like to go through the verse, oh, okay. only because this is the kind of track that I feel, well, actually, this is the kind of artist I feel you really need to take the music through chronologically, because as such a fluid composer, everything is very delicately interwoven in, in, a, in a systematic way. So just to go to the verse here, there's somewhat of a breaking character, especially from the drumline stuff, not necessarily because of her voice, because obviously you have a voice there, whereas a previous there there wasn't and you don't often have vocals and drumline stuff but I, I think this stands as sort of an independent muse at least the voice apart from the rest but I, I think apart from that there's really something else here there's the, it's the synth that you hear in the background this one sound bite that I, I left as a little bit arguable at this stage even though it was only providing the, the the tonic this the B of B minor but I believe that here especially along with the the clean electric bass that steps in alongside it and with the brass this section this little electronic noise started to make it just a little bit more sense because it provides this sort of textural unity where you see this a little bit of of an electronic element going with all of these acoustic sounds 
I mean, obviously the drumline thing is a very raw sound, and then you just have this one little electric unifier. Again, I typically don't count the electric bass as, as the electric element, or not as the synth element, because people are so accustomed to it at this point. But either case, when these things start to come together, it's a very unified, you know, electric meets raw kind of sound. And with the, the, the closely mic'd um, instrumentation, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's still not very grand when it's played together, but I think the intention here is to give you that, that sort of punchy beatbox feel, especially when the instruments all cut out, and that's for the chorus. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but this actually feels like an expertly remixed marching band at this point. I think that's the purpose that this sort of electric element serves. The second it goes away, you have a remixed quality in just the drums and her, and then later on this sparse electric bass as it steps in throughout the chorus. It's a very strong moment. Take all the brass, then take it away. I've got a little bit of experience with marching bands and uh, the music that pre they present because I actually do go on YouTube and look this stuff up because I, I really do enjoy it. Um, no expert. But this is not too far out of the realm of what you would come to expect from the more experimental style. They've, marching bands themselves have been kind of adapting it, and it's usually done in this, in, in less the the show way for a football or what have you game and more for the entertainment value and mm -hmm. i think going here they're doing this is definitely um a, a very positive step for uh, uh the, the setting of this album because it's taking something that everybody kind of is familiar with even if you don't watch football or lacrosse or what have you what at soccer all sorts of american sports have marching bands um, you still have that idea because it's, it's sort of an iconic part of high school, college and all the life associated with that especially when you talk in Midwest that element itself creates a very familiar feel but because she's fooling with it that's where I feel like it, it really melds to the content of the lyrics because it creates an, a slight otherworldliness to it especially with that bass mm -hmm. it, it pushes the envelope a little bit further than than just all oh, hometown feels this is this is hometown gem this is that person you knew growing up which made something out of themselves from you know nowheresville wherever but see that's just it. I think based on what you're saying, this is how I see it, that the, the drums are kind of the unifier. They definitely serve as the entertainment value just to connect to the public to this album in a sense. But the funny thing is that it is one constant on this album. It is the one thing that is there front to back. In many ways, it really is the muse. I, I may have misspoke before when I said that her voice was, was the muse. It's really the drums because they are sort of this driving force that walks us through all these various... Um, all these various sections of life therein. That is to say, if we're taking this as a personal album, which I certainly am at this point. It's kind of hard not to. And it's unique that the drums are taking such a forefront in this album. Not unique to music, but for, for sure unique to us, because we haven't really reviewed an album recently that had had so much percussion that 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 um, was very unique and standout-ish, usually. Yeah. We have other things here that also take the, the entertainment value, and I think that thing is the electric bass, especially yes. here when and you this... just have the drums and then the vocals. The electric bass, as I said, comes in kind of sporadically, and when it does, it, it's got this funk drive to it that is so strong, and 
what reacts with the drums there is and this this drum bass combo is another thing that is there almost throughout the album but it's because of the variances in the bass that i think even the, the steadiness of the drums don't feel stale as it goes through the album because the bass seems to be the experimental instrument of the album not soundbite wise but just in overall what it's trying to convey and here it, it does a great job of like i said of coupling what's being said and some of these words diamond so wild i cannot tame so shiny i cannot name all this pressure making diamonds disperse the white light see I, this is the one reason why i kind of came into this thinking it was some sort of um, and it made sense only in the grander context that I, I saw this as a sort of ode to to um, ode to music writing, only because y you you think about diamonds as some kind of ineffable quality that obviously she said she's trying to tame in a sense, and most of well any artist usually tries to tame that through their art. So because this is a very overly energetic, entertaining track by comparison to some of the other darker stuff we get later in this album. That's kind of a nice uh, prologue, I thought. I think that you're not wrong, but I think it's broader than that. I think that this, maybe on a personal level, the way she wrote it was to convey uh, music writing, but I think it's more about obtaining your art, your soul, your passion. Anything and trying to tame it in just about anything. Yeah, yeah which is, it's true. Which and there's is, not too many uh, instances in here where, where, where it links to, to, to sound and audio. There's only a, a few moments. Um, working hard, little delight. I forgot the sound well, of diamonds. It's about the only instance. Well, and also for me, like I think that emotionally, the pep rally kind of feel supports a positive vibe. This fact that the the, the fact that these things are unattainable or too bright or too hard to find aren't negatives it's this passion to step up to get to that next level and the way the music backs it up i feel gives this kind of go get em attitude which i think is a great intro track i think we haven't really talked about this in placement of the album i think placement of the album it's a really great way to get you revved and even if it does take a darker turn later starting strong like this i really think is a great way it's, to it becomes in. very enticing especially when they go into the bridge the the bridge is where i i, I really feel the the energy levels hitting their their high point on this song the bridge uh oh the, the bridge is such a tease for me at the same time it's it's absolutely glorious and i think it was expertly done in terms of just going into it and then cutting out really strongly but just to describe the the bridge briefly there's these these woodwinds in in the bridge that start doubling up the melody down the scale and the, meanwhile the melody is immersed in these really elusive tuplets but the woodwinds they overlap the, that, and they start. They overlap each other on each of those increments down the scale, and they hold out the previous note of the scale to form this highly dissonant tonal cluster. And then there's this somber release into what I believe was a 5-11 chord. And I, I, I heard uh, the high note, I think, on a, on, on a B there. One of, the, one of those high synths was on a B, so I believe it was a 5-11 chord. And then a repeat of the same section, a little bit more dense in that tonal cluster again but this time it yields directly back to the chorus and from there it yields into a much more in intense drum line so it was this sort of moment i think you also have to take uh, in tandem with the lyrics the lyrics were pink purple green red yellow blue i am in that mood indigo pink purple green red yellow blue i am in that mood for diamonds it's a kind of searching again maybe this is one other area why i perhaps wrongfully am interpreting music is because a lot of people see music in terms of color if they're synesthetically oriented 
I mean, that's part of it, but also you can imagine things artistically in your mind's eye, regardless of whether it's a, a visual medium or not, too. So it could be any medium. It could be actual colors that she's seeing or just the way you're putting it. It may have also been my need to impose some musical element for especially a musician that is doing an album essentially uh, seemingly about about her various aspects of her. It would be it would seem wrong to leave out that one particular aspect. As well, I said, appropriate prologue. And also remember, you're also a musician, so you might also be seeing something. Fair enough. Whereas I am not a musician in any capacity, but I am artistically driven, obviously, for the website we run, the writing I do, so which is why I might be more open-minded and broad about it, because I'm more of a jack-of-all-trades, I do a little of everything, I'm not so musically focused. Yeah, that could very well be part of it. Yeah, and, and no, that's fair enough. Actually, I, I honestly believe this this track is meant to be more broadly interpreted than some of the stuff we get down the, ro- down the road, which is a little bit more pigeonholed. Yeah. But there are a couple other things I just want to mention about this track broadly, is, and that is the fact that Looking at the musical styles here, because you're getting all of this variety, you have the the, the drumline stuff, you have the more intricate uh, harmonies and instrumentation here. We move together with more of a funk line, some that are very entertaining. There's sort of an impressionist quality to this bridge. All of these, there's so many different vibes that you can take from it at this stage of the album, and that is just the art that I like to see, because a lesser composer would have become too whisked away with just one of these styles and left the others in the dust. In other words, just to use something as perhaps a soundbite and then just leave it behind. But there's this this interwoven quality to everything that she does here that I just... is so It's a breath of fresh air to me at this point. That even makes the bridge more appropriate because just the variety of colors, the rainbow. She's showing her spectrum here. Every idea, every diamond she creates with the pressure, or every diamond a person creates, will have its different hues, its different aspects. And if you do have association with different colors, I mean, she's saying there's going to be anger, sadness, happiness, and everything in between. So it's yeah. it's it's an, uh, translating that from emotions to musical styles. It means that you're going to have you know. Uh, chamber music and rock on the same sort of a scale. I mean, she's she's up front kind of saying, well, this is going to be a little bit of a trip. Yeah, and again, even just from just a short of exhibit, the, the compositional arc, or her compositional prowess, I think, with, with certain sections here. And actually, this could almost be construed as a great pop tactic or a compositional tactic. There's this relatively thin but punchy chorus that we described before that just has the vocals and the uh and the drums a little bit of the bass and then at the end of that chorus it, since it was so thin it actually yields to the grandest point in the song as opposed to the chorus being the grandest point from which everything either breaks down from or pales in comparison because in the vocals right at the end of this chorus we get this sort of chilling but culminating wail taking a high third over the b while these chimes in the background, and a new element, even so, sort of take to arpeggiating over all this stuff. It, it, it's it's an unnerving climax, even though perhaps the the uh, the bridge later on could be seen as the climax. This is really like the overtaking moment, I think, of the song. I would agree, and honestly, Steve, as we move into the next track, I actually think that your initial impression of what she's singing about is more well connected, because even looking at the earliest lyrics in the, in the song before the words there's the voice before the verse there was the sound she's talking about putting a song together before there are words there's all this other stuff and it's, so I think that your 
keen observation of how it's her personal, even though it can apply more broadly to people, her writing is from a personal perspective of creating music, and this song more than backs it up. See, that was just it, and I actually saw this track as a kind of back to the beginning. In other words, here's the prologue of the overall thing that I'm looking for, and now let's sort of look at the, the first, person yeah. behind the art, the person from which the art is obviously born from. The inspiration it, it, of the art. That's that's what I'm really seeing in, in the words, and also in the music itself, because we have a... It's, it seems a little more simple because it, it, it's almost like the, the drums took a backseat, but their, their skeleton that they build within this song is just amazingly fleshed out on top of it with so much variety and so much fluidity again um, that in this case, I, I'm happy that the lyrics actually do take a little bit of a backseat because it, it, the lyrics themselves, her voice it's her, itself is becoming more of a musical instrument as opposed to a conveyance of a story and it's the composition of what's being built upon her drum work and to some extent the the horns that are being introduced here that is the most enticing part of this song yeah you know, it's funny that you mentioned that about how the lyrics sort of take a back seat because there is a sense here that definitely the poetry has kind of like been a little bit, um, you could say, superimposed by something that's very easily accessible. Obviously, there's a lot of repetition here, but it's repetition that is appropriate when you consider the, the makings of a song and the repetition that goes into the, uh, the, try, the sort of flushing try. out exactly. Try, try, build, you know, form the idea. But there's another level that I kind of took from this, and that was almost to say that it's not so much as to go back to the beginning of the songwriting, but it's to go back to the beginning of life itself because there are other words here that come in later when we were young we heard our mothers we heard the beep 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 i mean it, it it's in the womb yeah that, that, well, that's so i think she's what also i take from that for, well also this idea that before there are words even when there's music or even before that there's inspiration and inspiration could come as early as from your own birth or from your parents or from wherever well and i think that's the overarching drive to this song is this idea that Words are important, but there are things before that. You have to give birth yeah. to the idea here because Which, I, I definitely see that, Steve. That's a, that 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 com that that that's really present because before we sing, we take in breath, imagine fire inside our chest, then give it out together with one hoo 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 hoo. <laughs> but the way she sings it, it's oh, sultry wailing. I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's low register, but it's almost wailing. The funny thing is it's actually a little bit more more downplayed. I mean, it's not so much a wail as I'd expect because there's, there is a, a tendency with her, her vocals on this record and in some other stuff that she's done to really explore the more downplayed side of things. In other words, it's so primal at this point. I mean, it's funny to just look at the words like hoo, 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 hoo. I mean, beep, 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 beep. It's... it's it really is primal. It's about as simplistic as it gets, and she sings it exactly like that. So raw, I mean, is one way to put it, but it, it's not its not really a whale. That's not the way I'd put it. But also, I want to say that I think that the, we were talking about how the lyrics are less might be less impactful in this song than they were in the first song. I think that's also intentional because, again, because she's singing about this, like, what comes before, she doesn't want the focus to be on what she's saying. Uh, um, she doesn't want the, fo the focus to be on what she's saying. It's more or less the overall story that's being told. Mm -hmm. This idea. is The idea is more important than the words being used to convey it is where I was getting. 
And the music that's used to sort of frame this is in, in, in kind of a frantic, not like... I wouldn't say not frantic. harrowingly frantic, it's but still the, energized the, from it, the previous track. Yes, it, it carries over the energy from the previous track, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is in these these sort of brassy accents. Well, they step in, and then it seems like in post production they were oh, very well could have been an, an expert use of just sort of cutting out immediately after. It has this very very harsh decay. It's just almost immediately gone. Or there's a slight little tapering off, but even that sounds like it's a little bit electronic, like it's a, a an actual fade out it, but it's it, it's rapid they come in very strong and then they're they're as gone as they came it's it's a burst of creation throughout this song which is why i i i'll, I'll go back to it a little bit more i mean the drums are steady and that's something i noticed from the intricacies of the first song the drums are a lot steadier and less prone to wander and it's just these insights, because it's not just with the horns, it's also with um, the bass to some extent, and the, the synth work on top of it. Just just spurts of, of just imagination showing through your basic idea. It's, it feels like it's being created in, in just the spurts of it. Yeah. But it's so fluid that it was obviously very closely composed. It's, it's, it creates a, uh, an interesting duality between the two ideas because it seems a little more ad hoc, but obviously isn't. Yeah. And you know the other thing is I, I'm almost, especially considering that sort of uh, in the womb feeling, there, there was another thing there. There was the um, echo in the background just at that moment, which actually did sound as if, or of course we only have to imagine because we obviously don't remember uh, the way a sound might 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 come across as if you were hearing it on the other side of the womb. It was like the sort you... of echo in the background. It was it was a woman singing. I yeah. mean, it was probably her voice just in a second track. Um, but it was it it was distant. It was it was vague, but it was gorgeous, like a like a siren. Well, the idea of like as an infant in the womb, your mother singing to you. Yeah, that kind of a sound. Mingo. This 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 um, caretaking kind of thing. And she's already made it quite clear that she's the caretaker of her art. She's you know, birthing it, she's creating it, mm -hmm. she's managing it. She's the mom. But yeah. the funny thing about this track is that it starts getting very, very intense out of the chorus. I mean, it, it's, it was almost as if, like, Damien from The Omen just, like, made a cameo. It was, it got very, very dark later on, just in terms of, like, the little tonal layering. There was this sort of effect on top of which, I think it sounded like an organ at this point, but uh, there's keyboard, guitar, woodwinds, there's these, this little mesh of instruments that is being put through such a filter, and then on top of that later came what sounded like like a sort of organ. So it, it was, I mean, it's the kind of thing that makes me believe as if maybe the birth had just occurred. <laughs> I don't know exactly. Well, I mean, if we're going back to the beginning, and the fact is the, this, the album, the work, the, the, the creativity is not created yet. It's in process. And so yeah. it, it could be that idea that emotionally she's still in the process of creating or birthing this idea. And she's telling us about it as it's happening almost. Well, there's also the, the outro to this piece, which is something I think to, to factor into that, which was actually one of my favorite parts, even though it, it, it um, at the face of it seems a little bit divorced. And that's just the fact that you hear this rapping in, in the left ear. Everything is cut. The music completely stops. And there's just this little rapping in the left ear um, when you're listening on stereo. And then it just gives you the sense of... Of, of the stage, you hear this this space, as if suddenly the music had just ceased, and you just see the, the the stage that was left over. But then on top of that, there is this slight little music 
this little musical ditty. It sounds like it might be played on keyboard. And it feels like a classical piece that is very rapidly unraveling. And I, I definitely heard the progression of this, uh, uh, this, this musical progression before. It, it strikes me as being very classical. And then it just quickly deteriorates. So it's another example of what I found is, as a really effective tease, but it, 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 it sinks with this track in terms of, of, of setting, I feel. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's divorced. I would say it's, it's odd. It's, it's, truthfully, <laughs> it's truthfully just odd and different. It's, it, it seems out of place, but not in a way like, oh, this doesn't belong. It seems out of place in a way to call attention. It calls attention. I think um, it, it's a kind of artistic uh, separator. Yeah. In, in many ways between this track it's not and like this went to heavy metal like that would be divorced this kind of fell down to a basic level and then disappeared no it was an unraveling yeah. but it was just an unraveling that really didn't carry out of the previous moment of the song it really just ceased it just happened yeah yeah um, which then takes us into the title track which is this is my hand um, I mean from the get-go the minute she starts singing this track I love her inflection and the explanatory way the lyrics are phrased. I think it's very much in this way of, you know, she's telling you about her body. It, it, it reminds me of in, in um, Fight Club, how, you know, I am Jack such and such. I am, <laughs> like, it's that kind of very matter of fact, this is my hand, this is that, this is this. And I really like that, that explanatory take. It's the placement of her parts and her beings, her, her, her what have yous, her shape, her form. This is my frame, this is my mind, this is my voice, this is my heart. It's the actual progression of the words that, I, that are just phenomenal because this is, from uh, on face value, this is a ridiculously simple type of poetry. But forgetting the music associated with it this is it's so impactful because she knows where to go to next gonna interrupt so you well. on the incredibly simplistic poetry i mean yes in terms of the more fully formed line sure it's simplistic yeah. very short lines but there's there's a sort of quality to this that's what i'm saying yeah that is there's it, there's it's something unifying. there that is just the progression the way she goes about transitioning from one idea to the next it, it's almost like one word is connected to the next one four layers away, four statements away, but the transition seems so seamless and they are so different. Well, first of all, it's connected to the music because there's something here, especially in this pattern, that almost makes you feel as if it's in five in the beginning, but it's really just four with sort of a roundabout pattern that this, this, little, this little motif just sort of settles into and then it repeats, but it repeats in a, in a way that's fairly difficult to predict. It keeps it in a... In a, in a a driving but non-predictable motion. So that way, as you hear all these various lyrics, this is my hand, this is my wrist, this is my arm, this is my fist, like a twisted vine wraps around entwining, this is my face, this is my mouth, this is my eye, this is my brow, like lilac wine pouring out to thee, for thee. I mean, this is just gorgeous. And, and yes, I, you can say well, a, you can say in kind of a, a minimalist stance. But yeah, but it's it, the imagery it it's conveying, yeah, yeah, is what really sells it. And it, it really very much puts you in her place immediately, like instantly, because of how incredibly descriptive it is. It's so easy to relate and connect to. And there's pointed moments within this. And like, for instance, when she gets to this is my heart, it's not just heart. It's my heart. It's, 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 it's stifled, yeah. stifled as if she just unloaded a very strong piece of her being right there. In other words, that's clearly one of, well, it's, it is 
undoubtedly the most fragile part of your being that you can possibly uh, divulge to someone else, which is why we have the expression, yeah, wear your heart of, on a sleeve. Yet it's still one of the most powerful muscles in your body as well. Bingo. So it, it, it's that dichotomy. But also I like the fact that what really gives an emotional conveyance is she's almost taking inventory of herself, which I like too. This idea of it's almost as if she were reading off a checklist, but not so benign as that. But this idea of this is my like line after line after line of this is my X, this is my Y, this is my Z, mm -hmm. and I just like this kind of list form. It really gives this kind of impact of sort of like you take stock of yourself when you go through a trauma or you're working on a project. These this this checklist you create. There's one moment though, and that is uh, well before we get to the culminating moment. There's another uh, as I said this it's just, it's. Even though as you get this list, it's dotted with these musical phrasings that sort of isolate these individual moments. Like, for instance, the case of This Is My Heart. There's another moment with This Is My Choice. With This Is My Choice, you get this beautiful volume swell that accompanies it. It's, it's, it's this kind of... It's a way to sort of impart the, 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 the weight that is accompanied with making any sort of choice that has to do with, with yourself. And it's... That I think it really culminates, this entire passage culminates in this is my gloom, my flame, my joy, my aim to love. It's, 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 I can't even describe how, how simple and yet gorgeous this, this message is. And musically, it's dotted again. It's all about the phrasing. It's dotted with these ninth chords, which are very, very overreaching and very uh, longing in their own way. And the funny thing is that it's not really it's not really overt. It's not it's not laying it all on the line so much as it is humbly so. It's not it's not this grand impressionist piece. It's this humble, gradual build. And I, I I'm very much enjoying um, that that build, and it's that breakthrough that that's so amazing. But I think I, I see what uh, Storm was talking about just now uh, the the list format. Those little breakthroughs are when the electronic work, the synth work over it, sort of falls apart to some extent. And in a lot of cases when the more natural sounding horns come in, I like the dichotomy that's existing between these two major aspects of the music because the horns, while being natural, uh, also are the ones that are, are, are a little bit scarier, a little bit more primal in nature, which befits their natural sound. But by having it almost in competition with the, the, the synthesizer, you're getting a, a logic versus an emotional feel in the song. As, as you're just trying to take stock of yourself, it's, it's a, a beautiful conflict that the two are creating. Well, the way I see it, it's kind of a release of the humility. I mean, that's only one way to view, but especially as we, as we get beyond that, that, that cliff there when it's my my joy my aim to love it, it, it's a gorgeous little release here especially the, the the slide that she includes right on on the word love right up it, it's it's so graceful and you get this sort of rock back and forth between the c sharp minor and f sharp major and it's 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 enjoyable and especially once it releases to those brass tones it it, it does seem like a release of the humility because it's 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 kind of a bash at this point i didn't see it so much darker i saw it as kind of a a well, that weight is 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 unburdened. That's but, why I wouldn't say darker. Um, 
I would say primal. Prim- that, uh, that's, no, sure. that's what it boils down for me. Well, it's kind what, of like, well, let's just dance now. Well, yeah. Also because the song ultimately, I think, is this idea of growth. And you can't grow until you understand what you're moving through. And it's this checklist is to acknowledge what she knows, to figure out what she's learned, to move on and grow. And ultimately, that's the overarching theme, I think, of the entire song. Sure. But, I mean, along with that, it's got some very impressive musical passages. For instance, I think the drums were, were at their peak here. It was, yeah. it was this drum, again, the drum bash along with the, with the, with the horns was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you do get one dark element here, and I found that in the bass right, right after this. Because after this sort of bash occurs, then everything pulls back, and you're left with just this low tone. And I think maybe that is the moment that you were honing in on. John, there was this low it tone where everything very... everything thinned out. The brass is gone, and it's left just to this sort of synthesized bass sound, along with this rocking back and forth singular beat. Yeah, it was a thin moment that did come across as a little bit, a little bit noirish, considering the the, the middle point word. of this. No, track. that's a great word. Not quite dark, but definitely a little divergent. It's true because we, then we do get another another spiel. It's not so much that we get the whole entire story just within the first verse. We get this other verse, which builds in with several more phrases. This is my shape. This is my form. This is my age. This is my frame. This is my mind. This is my voice. It's, it's, it's just more phrases that go in line with the earlier lines. It's, 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 it seems like a never-ending tale. A kind of, well, there's never, you're never going to know the full me. Right, well, also the idea that you always, throughout your whole life, your whole existence, you have to stop and take stock of what's going on around you and with you. Also, by repetition, it shows evolution. Instead of repeating the same exact variety of words, um, it starts from the same point and still ends with that gloom, but it's a completely different way. Going left and right instead of with thigh and sex, I mean... The progression is there, but it, it does convey a very different feel towards the same end zone. Yeah, it, I think that in the end, this whole track strikes me as sort of a, uh, a very consistent journal entry kind of thing. A, a sort of journal entry where the, where the the words themselves just kind of leap out of the pages. The, the kind of can't-be-contained effect. It was, it was a very... This was probably one of the more personal ones on the record to me, even though say, there's still no shortage. Personal, yeah. yeah. No shortage of personal personal tracks here. So, shall we move on to Lover Killer, track yes. four? So, from the minute the song starts, you get this kind of sense, just by the beat and the bass, of this kind of strutting sound. Um, it's a little a little thin as far as, you know, it's not over, lar- overwhelming large strides musically, but you definitely get a sense of this kind of rhythm strut from the very beginning by a, the bass and drum work. It's a rhythm strut that's centered around uh, around seven beats, so we do have a little bit of a cagey quality in this, not this sort of perfect rounded four or eight. Um, and it's also very melody-driven. I mean, I think really that's sort of the dominant thing that you're focused on in this piece. Not so much these little intricate rhythms, but if you were to focus in on those rhythms, you'd find that I think there's a lot of emphasis on the and. For instance, the you know one and, two and. There's a lot of emphasis on that, on that sort of half beat. Um, apart from that, it's really the choruses here that I think take center stage. I think this is yeah. really where this piece shines. The verses are that slow, sort of melodic build, but the choruses are are this. It, it is another positive sounding bash. Instead, this time instead of using brass, it's much more saxophone oriented. And it, uh, it feels really, 
even sexy to some extent. I um, definitely thought of disco at moments yep. in this. But, well, because that strut comes into full force with the chorus, and it gives you that kind of feel. But at the at the same time, it I feel like a little bit of the cohesion in the composition was 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 lacking here. This definitely feels more jammy and more inspired on on a whim, but. In this case, I'm not I'm not really enjoying it as much. I think it's because, well, first of all, the whole the jam that this eventually yields to, I think, had something to do with the it had something to do with the fact that there did never really seemed to be this this culminating moment on this particular album. Yes, the choruses are kind of grand. At least the first chorus really really had me. I did notice that by the time the second chorus came about, I felt like it needed a little bit more layering. I don't mean to be so. Uh, um, you know, just just uh, starved for, for for density that I you know that I was really looking for that in every single moment of this track because in general the the density is is abound in this entire album. But in this one particular moment, I feel like I just every other track had seemed to be so so steadily building so so methodical. so perfectly yeah methodical. And then this track just seemed the second it got got around to the second chorus here it was just a little bit thin in the long term. I felt like it was just missing something. It seemed to be the more traditional pop restatement of the previous chorus. If anything, it even seemed to sound a little bit thinner than the first, which may have had its its um its inner artistic reason. Uh, maybe we could jump over here to the to the lyrics, which is still interesting in their own right. Billet spied, bolt sped. Across the field, crows fled. Crows, crows, crows fled. I left and wounded, left one dead. Billet spied, bolt split. Both sped. It's kind of a, a little bit of a mini tongue twister here, but it's interesting. It's it's it's. I I enjoyed it actually just from the terms of uh, of um the sort of alliterative alliterative content that this had. It was it was it was interesting writing, but it wasn't quite as as immersive as some of the other tracks. It, it, it lost, was a little more elusive. Yeah, it lost uh, some of its um, personal nature, so the impact felt like. Felt like it was a little bit pulled. The punch See, but wise. I disagree. If you focus on the yeah. lyrics, there's still more personal nature in this. I mean, the chorus. It does. The it, chorus. The chorus definitely well, because more. the chorus. You know, lover killer at at the wall in the mirror. You know, on one side I can dream my future, dream my future. On the other, I can feel my nature, feel my nature. It's just like that's the side that struggle. I was gonna get to. That's yeah. the side that sort of it kind of breaks free from this sort of elusive verse, and it, it is an, an internal struggle. But the only thing is that the music didn't quite reflect that so much. The jam that you get at the end, I think if I was to identify an artistic uh, reasoning behind the overall sound of this track in relationship to these lyrics, and yes, I do think that's probably the most important line, on one side I can dream my future, on the other I can feel my nature. It's uh, sort of to blow caution to the wind. I think that is really where this track lies, and especially when you take into account the next track, which is the antithesis thereof. Because any sort of self-awareness of, of one's own faults, usually what that eventually gives you initially, I think, is this sense of, well, what the hell? And then it finally, you get to the point of regret. Well, and, you, and between you that, back you a have bit. conflict. It's an internal conflict that yields from one to Which the Which often takes time to resolve. Correct. And I think that's why this track sort of um, doesn't really give you the full culminating effect that perhaps I was looking for musically. That's probably in somewhat intentional. I mean, we can argue that it's semantics, but I think that's definitely part of the theme arc of the song, to convey it that way, especially well, song, emotionally. I'm a lover, 
and a killer. I mean, yeah, it's the duality. Heart. There's going to be a duality involved here. I just feel like it was a little bit too clear cut. Well, it's, well, no, I can't say it's clear cut because that's what I noted in the beginning, especially when you look at the primary verse: a bullet, a no, bullet spied, the, bolt sped across the field, crows fled. It's it's a little elusive in this, but then it does kind of it's it, it with reveals or it, without it reveals sex. its cards. That's very what quickly. it is, with or without sex. It's just a little bit too much of a back and forth. I don't feel any conflict in that nature. It's either on or off. I think it's just the lack of bleeding between the chorus and the verse might also be an issue here. Because they they seem very separate. Not to say they don't go together, but you know when you've entered the chorus. Yeah, no, it was defined. It was a defined edge. I agree with that. <clears throat> that that I think is my real my my real problem here. The 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 duality is there, but there's no blending, which seems to be implied. I agree, and I think that. Uh... Considering the theme that we just laid down here, I think this uh, gets a lot more interesting and a lot more a lot more artful in the next track. Track five, I am not the bad guy. Oh, pretty, oh, pretty simple title, and it kind of reveals its cards right there too. Reveals its hand, as it were, because this track. Oh, if you want to talk of an artful, an artful presentation of this simple thing, we have definitely crossed. We've crossed the. Uh, the threshold in, into the the abyss of, of self denial that accompanies this 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 realization of one's own faults, and oh that it begins with this single riff, this riff that sort of rumbles on E G F sharp, E G F sharp. I believe there might have been a fifth associated with that, but it rounds this over and over and over again. It's this this constant thing that the track always goes back to. It it it's interesting. But it's also very, very dark because of, of this rumble, this, this grumble and, that, that is associated with it. It's also right up against that mic. There's, there's, we talked about close before, but here everything is going to be like rubbing your face almost as you're listening to the music. Yeah. And that, that itself creates a very um, oppressive kind of a feel to it, which came across beautifully in the verses the verses i mean they're inside of you and with what's going on lyrically the the duality is just so perfect for what for what uh, was trying to be conveyed here and yet this is the kind of thing that is really hard for me to break down in, in just sort of simple pop structure not to say that it's necessarily lacking the whole verse chorus nature but it 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 really seems to be the moment where this album kind of starts unraveling and i think that's appropriate considering the theme that we just laid out there it's this this slow realization and the music starts reflecting that everything starts getting a little bit harder to discern you just don't know exactly where she's headed what the tone is it's always ominous but at the same time it still has these sort of this sort of familiar moments to it for instance i believe it was one moment in uh, it was either the verse or the chorus this album it it's sort of not free from the same sort of thing that you might find in, in a, a recent thing I pointed out back in, uh, I believe it was episode 108, when we did the album Spoon, and I, I, I kept noticing this, this same recurring pattern of sort of going from a, a major chord down to a relative minor, major down to relative minor. It's common all across music, but definitely when you like find your one section there and you just keep doing that over and over again, it gets a little old, it gets a little predictable. In this particular case, it's not free from the same exact tactic, but it's that opening riff, this grumble that saves it for me, which goes to show that even just, you know, a familiar, uh, a familiar motif, 
a familiar progression, it's it's not going to be uh, off off the board forever just because I happened to notice it was a little repetitive in one particular instance. It was repetitive in the case of that album by Spoon, but the funny thing is they did it in the same track that I I noted in that episode that I had held them on a pedestal for, and that was uh, uh, Turn My Camera On. They did the same exact progression there, and that's what I heard here at its best. It felt like what Spoon should have been in that case. It was enjoyable, but still dark. Yeah, very dark, and the bass is what truly started scaring me because it would hit such a low register mm-hmm. that uh, you could almost feel as opposed to hear the vibrations of it. The, the and it's I... coupled with such amazing lines. Uh, the one line that I think sums up the whole song, I love you when I hurt you so. I just love that line because that is the culmination of everything that happens in this track. Well, let's bring out some more. I love you when I feel like a stone. I love you when I want you to go. I love you when I want you to know this is what love feels like. It's 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 a kind of denial, and you feel this again. Let's go back to that 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 darkness in the music here. This bass has this sort of glaze of bleary-eyed mischief. It's a kind of you know what you're saying is a little bit BS, but it may very well be true. It doesn't mean that the outcome will be good. It's, well, especially it's... that's assuming that we take this from the eyes of of the uh, of the artist right here. If it's a kind of personal tale or of, of a personal experience, then the music is, is essentially conveying what you said. I love you when I hurt you. So it's true, even if it may not be true to you. The the song starts with "I was so desperate for release, thoughts I do not dare to speak," and it just progresses from there. Well, what I think the structure kind of also pushes and the way I took it is think about you're broken up with by somebody, but you never get told why. They just dump you and move on. Hmm. They never tell you why. They don't give you a reason. So you're left with no narrative as to why these events take place. But see, that's So funny. then, let me finish. So then your brain fills in gaps. You decide for yourself what that person was thinking because you need closure and you can't find it without that information. So you start to fill in that information. What it conveyed to me is it felt like Cheryl Warden was not singing as if she's a bad person, but she experienced heartbreak from a bad guy and wanted to understand why. So she's filling the blanks as if there's this forced narrative that she's speaking through his voice because he's no longer there. So she's decided to fill in the gaps the best she can. And that's when I... This is something that me and Storm talk about and we both... We, we, we are kind of disagreeing on because the uh, towards the end of the track, as it starts culminating and grows in complexity and definite... Uh, a little bit of anger, a little bit more... Stronger sadness. I don't know how to put that. Oh, I'll get there. Frustration. <laughs> It, it's got, this is what love feels like over and over, and it keeps rising up and getting bigger. My sweet love. It's, it's the, the presentation of that is just so personal. I can't take it as any way but her narrative. Not the person who left, but her narrative. It, it just seems like it's her heart yelling out. Maybe she's the one that committed the wrong. Or maybe it's just there was an incompatibility between the two. That coupled with how close everything gets done vocally, not just instrumentally, but vocally, it feels like it feels like her. It, it feels too much 
of the the first person as opposed to a narrative for the the individual who left. I'm with John on this one only because this seems like a very, very odd point on this album for her to suddenly withdraw from this sort of personal tale. I think, especially when you take it uh, in, in, in reaction to the previous one, Lover Killer, which I believe is also uh, a, a, the same tale, as I said before. This is just a continuation of the same thing, it's just that the mood had changed. The first, yes, there is strife there, but at the same time, it almost seems a little bit blissfully unaware. On one side I can dream my future, on the other I can feel my nature. But you know what, maybe just go back to dream my future because the jam seemed to definitely tell that tale. This one, it's more of a convincing yourself kind of thing. It's the same thing that she's guilty of, that she was guilty of there, that she's guilty of here. Again, let's just talk about a person because it's not fair to put this entirely on the artist even though of course that seemed to have been pretty apparent with the with the nature of this album even so this character here is I caught it in two separate verses there was one where it was I love you when I feel like a stone I love you when I want you to go there was another one when I love you when I want to go I believe that was a, a little bit of a of, of a dichotomy between this in other words when I want you to go, when I don't want you around me, or when I want to go somewhere else, when I want to be around other people. It's this sort of, you know, you can have this dynamic between two people, and yet there can still be love there, but even no matter how many times you tell the tale, it's not going to make it good for the other person. But it's interesting to hear, I believe, and this is why I'm sort of on, on John's side with this, it's interesting to hear a tale told from the well, the, the the perpetrator, essentially, as opposed to the victim. I think that there's a disillusionment in this song, and maybe that the perspective I'm seeing is not necessarily a forced narrative, but she refuses to see herself as the bad guy, so she's putting it on the other person. But as the song progresses, she becomes more frantic because she's realizing it is her. She is the bad guy. That's I like that. I like that a lot because yep. that sort of out-of-body perspective uh, gets revisited, in my opinion, a couple of times in this album as well. That actually, that, that would make a lot of sense in some of the context that comes up later. Because it, it seems to me like she's in denial and then she's accepting and then the accepting is terrifying so she's in denial again. Outside of theme here, of course, there are definite links between it and the overall tone. We already uh, conveyed the sort of driving bass that provides this 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 noirish feel to this track as well. Even though it was there only only slightly in the previous, we really get it full force here. It, it, there's a chord progression that 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 comes. I believe. Um, again, I, it's hard to even break this this track down in terms of. Uh, of verse First and chorus, chorus yeah. but there's a moment here where we might even call it the bridge. It's where everything seems to pull out. I, I was hesitant. I almost called it a full-fledged B section, where where we're in we're in B minor, or actually no, I think we're really in E. But in this particular section, we we jump up to B minor and we round about this 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 broad chord progression. It starts with B minor, it goes to G minor, then it goes to the E minor ninth, which just feel like it pulls down with this sort of this sort of inner longing to it. And then from there we go to this F diminished chord, which just, just fills you up with tension out of the said longing. And then we repeat the same pattern. It tells the same tale over again, purely in music. 
And then, this time, from the F diminished, it does not tell the same tale again. It slides down to a G minor ninth, which feels even more filled with longing than the previous one did. It's this very, very delicate build, and it, I would describe it only as one way, and that is just romantically tragic. It's, it, which is kind of reflected in these lyrics. In fact, it's, it's 100% reflected in these lyrics. It's 100% reflected in the lyrics because you will never be more lonely than you when you realize you're the problem. Because there's a whale at that exact moment this, this, this wailing, I still claim, emphasis on the word claim, very strong in, the, in these words, um, in, the, in this melody, I mean, I still claim I'm not, I'm not the bad guy. Even takes pause to say, I'm not, ellipsis, I'm not the bad guy. There's a distinct, there's a distinct denial here, which I think is, is conveyed in, in, in the longing for something that she knows to be true, but it, it, maybe it's not. I'm, I'm almost reeling back. Perhaps at this point, it's just a, a matter of telling herself that such is the case. It's not true, and that maybe she has, in, in retrospect, seen it as wrong. So, there you are. This, I mean, beyond that, you're talking, you're talking these moments of, of brass, which is another, uh, another really binding factor in this album, along with the drums, that just, they, they accent in this, in this sort of shebang right along with that i still claim i'm not the bad guy it's it's this sort of it's like the brass has come along to kind of help her tell this tale of denial it's absolutely beautiful and then from the outro it just slips away into darkness which connects us directly to looking at the sun which is track six um this is where i mean at this point on the track it's incredibly obvious the drums are the heart are a good chunk of the heart of this record and for sure this song this this song it sort of revisits revisits the uh, drum line idea yes from track one but it does it in a way that really adds this kind of jumpy rhythm to the track that stays consistent stays throughout the track but not consistent in the sameness but just consistent as in reliability it's throughout the track and they do a lot with it and it really does add a backbone and a heart to this track horns, that allows the rest of the track to grow around it the horns come back full force as well uh still being used sort of melody sort of accent it's uh, it, i feel like they're a little bit more intricate than they were in previous tracks as well. You know what it is? It's intricate because it feels like here they're playing. It's playing around more with intervals than it is with chords. It's not so much this sort of it, uh, full, you know, one chord to the next, what progression to progression. It's a lot more sporadic, and I think that that also has its has its meaning when you consider the previous track because it feels like out of that uncertainty has just come this this yeah a, a, a kind of narrative that doesn't really have a set. A set path per se it's just these sort of tones and impressions that you get as as one instrument kind of bounces off the next it's 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 not it's not defined in any way for instance you do have the constant of the drums that's about the only constant beyond that you get chimes you get these various little textures she's singing a lot on the ninth but I can't really call it the same full-fledged ninth chord because I don't hear enough instruments with which to really build that single chord. It's just you get impressions of the ninth. In that case, you could just call it the second, really. It's just this, this, this search for something that it hasn't quite found quite yet. Which is why I, I, it's, it struck me... I, I think here is where her vocals have truly, uh, truly shine on the album. Because 
the progression was they started pretty good, and here is where I, I they, they kind of hit a, a next level. Uh, I feel like her vocals are completely unchained at this point. This is this is one I her choice of quavering at parts is like heart wrenching. Quivering, because <laughs> quaver would imply something else. But yes, quivering. There, there's this moment that I mean, well, moments throughout. Yeah, exactly. Actually. That's, it, it's that's, kind what, of, that's my meaning. It's, it's something to be honest that I would apply to almost all of the vocals. But yes, definitely, there are moments where she where she um, uh, brackets it more than others. What I also like about this song is that while the drum stays the through line and it does evolve in different ways and help the rest of the layers of the song grow, there's a moment right after the chorus where it kind of drops down and becomes this almost hip-hop kind of rhythm. But it doesn't affect the speed or evolution of the song. It kind of rests into this moment and then it becomes just another level for the layer. Well, see, that was the moment where I think this track actually took its opportunity to kind of expand the narrative a little bit. It spends the beginning just kind of in a little bit of, of a meandering way, but I still enjoyed the the, uh, the uh, pantheon of texture that was going on here. And then beyond that, you get this this subtly built narrative. Again, this is much more in line with... Um, uh, with a with a compositional tactic than with a pop tactic because at this point I think I think the the album has sort of dropped the uh, the illusion that it is 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 something um, accessible or or digestible I mean granted of course it still is and but I think that that's another tasteful fact is that you wait until here track six before you get into the cagier sides and it coincides appropriately with the story. Um, there was really only one moment I felt in this build here, uh, even though I felt like this is somewhat the, the climactic part, perhaps, of the greater story, there was this one moment where I felt it was just a little bit cliche, where it goes from sort of the major five back to the minor one. It's this kind of like, like, uh, I've just arrived and, and completed the, the, um, the, uh, uh, how would you put it? I guess the, the... The task set in front of me, the kind of thing you might might find like an in, in, accomplishment, in, almost an accomplishment. I hear it in in movies a lot that like uh, border around success stories, like like Rocky, for instance. I hear that progression in there a lot. It's sort of a eureka moment. Yes, it's kind of eureka moment. But you know, it I I felt like it was a little bit early for this to sort of go full fledged with that. There's still a mysterious vibe here. It's clear that nothing uh, essentially has been reached quite yet. But if you take in to account the the track title, looking at the sun, there's definitely something at the end of the tunnel. Or it could be a more introspective stare at oneself. I think that might be more appropriate, especially when you look at a few of these lyrics here. Grasping wings, a double mind, like two horses, pulling both sides. If I could put one down, I mean, this is... It's going back to the lover-killer duality again. It's going back to the denial and acceptance we saw in I'm Not a Bad Guy. There's so much it's more of a, a, re- there's more there of a is... resolution there. It yeah. does seem, at least in at least in in theory, a resolution. If I could put one down, I mean that's that's hard stuff. But at the same time, you know, there is that necessity to move on with life. Looking at the sun keeps kind of it keeps the cycle going. It keeps you from being entrapped in this stagnancy. And it's also the combination of not just looking at the sun, but seeing all the shadows. Well, but also this idea of staring at the sun feeling lost and you have nowhere to look or not you have no idea what to look for so you're looking at the guiding light the sun itself yeah there's, the there's one another, bright point there was another line when you close your eyes you can imagine where you find the emptiness i mean 
it's it's it, it it does seem much more resolute in this regard if you close your eyes if you sort of sit back you can find the fault they're in it really reacts perfectly to the pairing even though there wasn't anything here i found musically uh as musically gripping just comparatively i still think that that theme wise this is such a, a, a beautiful subtle subtle progression from the previous two tracks in this sort of blissful denial into a more emphatic clearly troubled denial into something that is more resolute which we're, is what i uh, excuse me this is why i don't think it's a culmination as much as a rev- resolution I don't, I don't feel even, like this I don't, is the high point of the album yet. I don't think no. I don't think this is a resolution either. I think this is an opening into another aspect of her mind that we get in the seventh track. The yeah, it's, of, it's just an, it's just the notion of self awareness. That is literally all oh, I mean oh, by oh, by oh, resolution. I got it. I got it. Metaphor. Just no, self awareness. A crux of the decisions. This is this is the turning point. This is when she's decided upon the path she will take. Perhaps I think self awareness defines that. Up pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> well. Being self-aware is one thing, but actually, this is, I feel like she's making a conscious decision to choose between who, her two aspects here. Well, let's see where the album takes us in that regard, because as we move into the next track, track seven, Shape, this is a track that I, I, I think presents more of a different of a different side of her, perhaps not ne- not directly, but certainly uh, indirectly uh, intertwined in the same story. I would say that this this song very directly reflects her in an indirect way. What, what I kind of well, mean I, I is, think I have a theory behind this, but go for it. Well, what I'm saying, well, first of all, the song is called Shape, but in structure alone, on an overarching view, it's a very shapeless track. And she talks about how, well, not even how she talks about it, but how the song form takes. There's a lot of chaos in this track. There's sound effects, there's sound bites, there's noises, but there's also beautiful rhythms beautiful harmonies. There's complicated rhythms. <laughs> Especially so, considering her background here, I found such <coughs> Sufjan Steven moments in this track. These vocal harmonies that were presented in these little staccato patterns that was so prevalent in, in, in his sort of middle period work when perhaps she was working with him. But I, what I think it's brilliantly about, brilliant about the name is this idea of finding shape and shapelessness and she feels I think at this moment in the narrative at least this loose narrative that we're looking for very shapeless. She's not sure where the hell to go from here. And this song is kind of finding comfort in being okay with not being perfect, not being perfectly shaped and perfectly defined. Well, I, have I a, agree with. I got a theory for that too. I agree with that, but well, see, I'll present my theory behind this. Although I, I, I do want to get into some uh, musical moments here because this has some of my favorite moments on the album in this regard, especially toward the end. But regarding that concept of shape, if you look at a few of these lyrics here. You'll never know how I may appear the first time. I'm like the wind next time. I'm like the storm. You'll never know what shape I might take. I might be the ghost, or I might be hiding in smoke. Oh, you cannot see me. Blameless, shapeless, a new prismatic. This is a sort of, I mean, I do believe there is a comfort here in being relatively shapeless, in having this adaptability. And I do think that is what I meant by the, uh, this is sort of what I meant by the indirect relation to the previous two tracks and how it's an aspect of her that I think works with the problems that she inevitably encounters with other people. Because of course there is that, that constant, that, that constant issue you're going to have with people that assume you're one way because you are that way with them, but then you go with another person and you are a completely different way. Some people are not this way. 
but a lot of people are. I happen to be this way. I think I'm very different around each and every person I know. But I also know some people who are the same around every person they know. Those people are a little bit, I think, they have an easier time with this sort of uh, dip in, in, in cohesion into various different circles because they're just, well, they are them no matter what. But it, when you fuse it as a sort of shapeless person, then it, it, it becomes difficult because then suddenly the person that someone might have thought you were, suddenly you are not. And that's difficult, especially in terms of relationships. Because, obviously, people are, we are creatures of comfort. And it's difficult to react to things that are different. But if someone is inherently different, how do you deal? I looked at it a little bit differently. I felt like this song is about her finding her new identity, especially considering how the song does in fact take shape towards the end. This is, well, in, in Look at the Sun, she made a decision to be one of these different aspects of her nature that she presented in Lover Killer and I'm Not the Bad Guy. And now in shape, she is forming this new identity. This is the actual process for her. To, to be one minute the wind and the next minute the storm. To, to be a kiss at one point and something completely different. Just, just, just a warm embrace or a breath of air or something like that. It's, it's, she's so amorphous right now that her identity is still not spoken for. But as the song progresses... Um, especially towards the end when it does in, an incredible upbeat, that's that's her identity finally being formed, finally t- uh, achieving fruition. But no, no, that's just... See, I feel like you just uh, defined it. I mean, I feel like you described exactly what I just described because uh, ultimately the fact of the matter here is the identity. The shape is the very shapelessness, the, the, the amorphism. I think that's a perfect word for it. I, but see, I don't, think it's, I don't think she remains that shapeless blob. That that amorphous idea. But see, that's I the thing. You interpret does... that blob as being a negative thing. I see. No, that no, as I don't see the sort of beautiful thing. thing therein. No, no, no. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as a negative because this is vying with this is my hand as my favorite track. I mean, there is just such a a introspective aspect of this song that is it, it's amazing. She was able to get her thoughts out. Well, theme. I mean, yeah. That that aside, favorites aside, let's just get on theme because I'm going to definitely describe some things um, uh, musically in the, in the last section here. Although I, I might just go into it now, considering that we're talking about the last section here as defining who she is. I mean, this is just following the, the line: "You'll never know minute to minute where I'm going." That's you'll never know minute to minute where I've come from. You'll never know minute to minute if you'll find me. I always know minute to minute I am near you. It's a kind of it's kind of assurance in perhaps being unassured. So I still see a positive, uh, a positive attribution to this, and I, it, it's interesting considering that I find the most identity in this album apparent in this final section here. It, it's absolutely a B section, I, or, or maybe it could be considered another jam, but it utilizes so many tools at its disposal. It, it's... I mean, it essentially is an F. Dorian masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. It's this textural masterpiece. There's this deep reverberation that sort of echoes some of the things that she's done earlier in the album, but it is even more more rounded in this particular case. And then on top of that, you get all this varying thing, all these all these varying things going on. There's these these little high synth um, 
these little synth notes that just step in there delicately over in the right ear, and they step in fourths, playing together in fourths, going up and down the scale, the F Dorian scale. And then all of a sudden you have this 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 very uh very very grounded kind of non-musical shout by what sounds almost like kids. It doesn't even sound like her, just to shout out, hey, everybody takes a shape. Everybody take a shape, as if it's some kind of calling. And then beyond that, take a different shape. It it it's it's a celebration of this shapelessness. That's the way I see it. I agree. I think that uh, she's not trying to ultimately find a form. She's trying to find comfort in whatever she has. Being happy with her as her, not her as what society says her should be. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's funny how how, how such a, the most non-musical moment worked in the most musical way or the most thematic way that those that moment this where the kids come in to say. Not- where the kids come in to say, everybody take a shape, as if it's some kind of overlying societal chant, which right. obviously is bull. Well, right. Well, society, the idea that society defines the shape, the, the shape of what your body should be, what your, you know, your views should be. And I think she's using the word shape to represent all of that as this idea of the shape of her. She should be what society believes her shape is, but the fact that she's lacking shape is what she feels she should be. And this acceptance of that which leads very well into track eight, I think. I think this this song ultimately is a, an acceptance song. I believe it's um, I believe you're 100 right. Although I, I would narrow it to say that even though there's a million interpretations you can you you can ascribe this to, you you, it comes down to personality. I think the way this album is going at present, um, a sort of personality with respect to other people. Yeah. And that, yeah, that brings us into track eight. So easy. So the thing I noticed about this song, and we're going to speak lyrically first, is that there are definitely, there's only two verses, and the two verses are very distinctly about something specific. There's vagueness in the verses, but they still seem to represent very specific moments. In a way. Okay, I'm I'm rambling, so let me fine-tune it a bit. The song is so easy, and do you have the first verse written down, Steve? I'm not afraid, I'm not grasping your hand, well, I'm not afraid I'm not, that it should be stated that's an independent phrase. Then, grasping your hand, we're running, and I forget how afraid, how afraid, how afraid I am. And then, oh, you said it was easy. Next verse, down to the fire's edge we go, there we touch and take it slow. I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not. Grasping your hand, you're coming, and I forget how afraid, how afraid, how afraid I am. I think this is the the, the, the overall idea of this song is this lead up to a romance that, for whatever reason, there is doubt, there is fear. Um, and it could be any number of reasons, but it sounds mostly to me like some kind of loveless sex, whether it's the first time there's this passion or... It's just this loveless passion, but it's leading up to that from the first verse to the second verse. I, and see, this is where I think they, she was going for one thing and something else came out because I don't believe it was supposed to be a loveless passion. I think it was supposed to be that first plunge in a relationship. But the music is, Here's here's one where I'm I'm getting let down on the music. It's just it doesn't feel like it's up to snuff compared to seven like monstrosities that we've gotten so far. This was this was a little bit wanting. I'm inclined to agree, but a lot of that I think has to do again with the sort of loveless, passionless thing that Matt just described. It's it it definitely is a weaker track, but that may very well be that may they may have some some 
some pretty solid artistic grounding uh, when you consider the direction of this album. There's bound to be moments where uh, this um, character, as we can delicately put it, is just not invested. Uh, I think that was proven with the last several tracks. And I think the character is actually afraid of that fact, that they're not invested. And I think that's why that line goes, I forgot how, I forget how afraid I am. This idea that she was afraid of this but, direction, and then once the moment happens, she forgets how afraid she is. But that's when I'm going to start arguing the art aspect of this, because why would she be afraid? If, there's, if it's passionless... Why is there really fear? I mean, oh, I felt I, like, I'll tell you exactly why there no, would no, be fear. I, but that's the whole thing. It's, I feel like this so easy should be the culmination of entering a a magical relationship. Considering what we get next, in retrospect, I feel like this was actually going for a completely different idea. And I'll tell you exactly why it's not, or why I feel it's not. Because the reason she's afraid is because of exactly what you said. She should be happy. She should be excited. She should be passionate about this person. What scares her is that she's not. Not that she's afraid of everything, but she's afraid of herself. And it's I'm funny how, how, how like close analysis of the words here can really reveal that. Because I was reading it before, and I had, I had thought, grasping your hand, you're coming, and I forget how afraid I am. And I originally read it as, well, I forget how afraid. In other words, you have set your fear aside. But it is not that. Otherwise, it would have said, I forget how afraid I was, or I forgot how afraid I was, that would have been past tense. If it's, I forget how afraid I am. In other words, I forcibly forget I forcibly have to set aside this truth of fear that is always present. Yeah. And that's really what it is, because otherwise the next line would not say, oh, you said it was so easy. I mean, this, it, it, this is a very interesting track, because even though it may not really grab you out musically, a lot of it has to do with this sort of, uh, musically it has to do with this sort of um, downward uh, chromatic progression. It just kind of goes down a spiral, but there does seem to be this interesting moment when she sort of shouts out, oh, you said it was so easy, because there's almost an orgasmic quality to this, oh. But the funny thing is, it, it, you can hear it both ways. I actually heard this once, and I heard it in more of a positive light. I heard it again, and I felt that there was definitely that same overlying something not quite right, something a little bit awry about this, about this whole... This whole setting. You know what's interesting? I think it could be that this song is framed this way in an almost simplistic, forgettable form is to give that impression. The impression you would have in that situation, since it's very first person, I, you, you connect to it how your brain would work. You know, and you're taking a perspective that would be more personal to you even though it's about her. And I think that's why we're getting different viewpoints because we're taking it more personally in. And I, I okay, but it's with resonance, the next track, that I I can't see it I can only see it the way I explained earlier, because resonance is so in depth in the power of love. With opening the lines like I can stare without oh no. Can I stare without breaking at you seeing me? And the emphasis of at you seeing me is just so powerful that 
it's it's like the passion from the is missing from so easy, and that's where I I, I feel I'm, I'm getting let down by so easy because resonance really is um, it's it's such a great piece to delve into because of of the love she starts to, to explain with it coupled with the texture she creates. Hmm. Well. The funny thing about Resonance is it, it's another one of those really, really heavy texture tracks. Really, really heavy rhythmic tracks. I, I believe this track is, is um, I, I heard it kind of in like a sort of compound meter, sort of a sort of three against four kind of thing. Uh, and it, it's, that, that took us a while to figure out. Yeah, I may still not even be 100% on it because there's, there's, I mean, part of it I hear in six and first, I, for sure, when it moves to this sort of grand chorus, this this glorious bellow, it, it's... It definitely is in six here, and the the rhythm. There's such a pulse with the drums on this particular track. In many in many ways, this track is more of the, the I think the the culminating orgasmic moment for this album. The funny thing though is that there is much more of a divide between that opening section, the opening uh, verse, if you want to call it, and this op- and this 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 sort of bellow of a chorus here. There's a much bigger divide between these two different sections, only in terms of the fact that the rhythm is the one thing that does bind them together. But the funny thing is, this is one of those Cat 22s when you're talking about music, where even though I feel like it wasn't like, this track wasn't built as if the section was inevitable, I also know that this sort of burgeoning forth, this bellow wouldn't quite have had the same impact that it that I experienced if the first section had been intertwined with it 100%. Yeah. Even so, it's this it's it's this section which I think um which I think I attracted me most to this track and I would probably replay the section and over and over and over and over again. I I I was so drawn to it to the point where I could probably even tune out the 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 opening portion. It's this this rock back and forth between A flat minor 11th down to to F minor 11th. Considering that the piece is overall in in F minor, it's this sort of push upward and then a a, a very dense, uh, fluid, uh, kind of a little bit tortured at the same time, pull right back downward to the home key. It's 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 harrowing in many ways, which is why uh, "bello" was the only way, the only word that came to mind. There is one thing you did not yet talk about, and that was along with the three, two, we don't know what's going on meter that's going on with the drums. And that's only going in the in the verses, the only opening section. The verse also had a unusual pacing to the bass. Yeah, there's that bass added motif. a third level to that meter. That because the bass itself was 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 like a seven beat and a ten beat. It's hard to define. I know. It's I tried almost, to. It's almost hard I, to count. That's why I'm sure this isn't some kind of compound thing. Or or for instance, it's it's one of those you know a measure of one thing alternate with a measure of the other. And it's Which one of those is, things. It keeps it in such a cagey tone that it seemed almost almost odd for it to sort of break. But at the same time, ah, I gotta withdraw. I just back what I said before. If it wasn't for that, then this culminating moment in in six wouldn't have been so so grand i i'm just i'm very torn on this piece because it's one of those things that highlights a particular section which is one of my little staples here sometimes it really is about the moments well i think also overall the thing that really kind of gives it this flow too is the fact that every every verse line is emphasized by the percussion too it really kind of wraps up each line pushing you forward into the next piece and giving it this march almost not not necessarily rhythmically but this definitely push through the song 
to give that kind of move forward. Can I dance without holding back? I can't control you. I don't even want to. I can't control you. I don't even want to. I long to be known by you. That, there's just, it's dripping with passion at that point. Just, you know, almost venomously. Yeah. And that's why I think so easy. That's, I got to go back. That's why I think so easy. The context is wrong. Because there should have been passion there. No, see, that's my issue. I think it's apples and oranges. I think that the fact that that she was afraid is due to maybe an experience or the lack of not knowing. We don't know why she's afraid. We just know she is. Yeah. And it's very easy to be afraid of something before you fall in love with it. I mean, there are plenty of people who go into a relationship being terrified because of past wounds, but then realize that it's on them. She never said she's afraid of him. She's just afraid. And so I think what it is is that fear gives way to an understanding and then a passion. So I think they work together much more, much better than you're giving it credit for. It's also just the the, the fact of life that we go through both of these experiences, I think, on, on a kind of uh, um, pivot basis constantly. Where one moment we're much more reserved because, oh, fear of being hurt. Then the next moment we're a little bit too overbearing and it causes us to be hurt in turn. Reel back again. It's just this never-ending cycle of, of, of what I think was accurately portrayed earlier as this whole shapeless kind of, you know, there's no one answer. There really isn't. Yeah. Personalities are very, very adaptable. And it's very, very rare that we encounter this, this sort of one one way to one being and and i think this album kind of conveys that but too many albums out there are are very often touching upon this uh this sort of one dimensionality which i think i I appreciate this album for kind of giving us a breather from so i think that's how i interpreted this as as a pair to the previous tracks it's it's it is passion oriented i think the only issue i had was with that slight little disconnect between the 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 very dense and and happily rhythmic opening intro into this bellow. It's 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 that Cats 22, which I'm just going to deliberate uh, until we do our wrap ups. But first, we'll go into uh, track 10, Apparition, the final track. So Apparition um, from the get go sounds gorgeous, final, and ethereal. It gives this kind of almost cinematic wrap up to the the album musically. Um, and the lyrics really give you that too. It's it's almost conveys this sweet sadness, and there are lyrics that really give you that. Um, especially, you know, this kind of spacey, techy kind of sound, but gives way to feeling either in the open ocean underwater or in space in the vast vacuum. But it gives this spaciousness, this almost it's, awe. I wouldn't. Maybe not vastness. It's almost uh, well. Apparition is kind of an appropriate word, regardless of what the lyrics would actually say, just to describe the music. Because that space you're feeling, I think to hone it in, it's just the density, sort of an evaporating effect to it. It could be, yeah. Because uh, we're talking, it's it's a little bit of an end credits kind of a song, which means that it, well, it's ending a piece, and because. It, it flows so well. I think this is just a great finale. Well, what I really like is also it's... The imagery. The, the, I like that this credit song isn't this happy ending necessarily, but it's not a sad ending either. It's this kind of sweet sadness, this 
kind of it's a bittersweet ending. It's a bittersweet. I, it's I mean, first Hulk of all, the way away. this is the way this is composed really, really. Uh, uh, I think it, it lends itself to a very cinematic style, which is why I think perhaps more appropriately than than the way we usually use it, this sort of credits credits rolling song, I think is is more apt here than than ever before. Only because there's, I mean, there's always a bittersweet uh, flair to I think the the credits rolling uh, music for any for any true romance, I think, or for any true uh, for any true drama. I mean, it's 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 kind of a, a sense of like the the world ends, or or no, the world does not end. Excuse me, the world does not end, but really, really good people were lost. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Well, and also with lines like this perfume of sadness, which it's only part of a line, but this this imagery, this very strong imagery of this perfume of sadness, this idea that some people find a sweet scent in sadness and depression they find they are allured to this feeling even if it doesn't feel good they're still allured to it for better or for worse you take it's, it from one moment to the next and just sort of run with it it's your it's your fuel yeah it's also i'm i'm seeing an evolution of the lyrics themselves throughout the album this is the first time we really get like heavy heavy imagery involved um which, considering when you start talking, this is my hand and the very pointed lyrics of that, as well as before the words and the pointed short lyrics of that into the longer thought form, into this very, very deep metaphor of apparition, it's sort of like a, an inevitable evolution of of just the words themselves in this album everything else is very very on the nose as if you can only take the tail for the tail but then this final track is sort of uh, it's half an illusion in many ways it's it looks even... back on it looks back on positive things that may not have been as positive as, as that you even experienced when you were experiencing them but at the same time it doesn't diminish them anymore so it's all just part of your memories which are are silently sort of fueling and, and guiding your every move. You can't erase them, you're just with them. So you might as well make the best with them. It's 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 very I think that's why bittersweet is the perfect word to to use for this track. And yes, as you said, the the, the lyrics really do convey that. The lyrics are just as in, in enchanted and and uh and immersive um, but yet not so much on the nose. They're cagey at times. Uh, perfume of sadness is a great is a great metaphor, but it's still a metaphor. Yeah, it's not and actually speaking outright. Even resonance was starting this, but it really it. It culminated. Everything here. that's that's the whole thing about this album. Everything seems to just inevitably get from A to Z. Every every little song, every little bit, like the everything is built on progression on the micro and the macro layer. But it doesn't obviously get there. It just gets there. Uh, it's it's so pointed. And here's where I guess I'll start my wrap up, unless we have closing thoughts on apparition. Go for no, it. No, go for it. Um, it's so methodical yet veiled behind beauty. I mean, you no, you don't. You see the the, the progression when you really want to delve into it, but you don't. You don't have to feel it. It doesn't have that coldness that what you would associate with a more engineering approach as opposed to a more artistic approach. Mm. And I guess the word I'm kind of looking for here is architecture, the, the, the true combination of form and style. It has this. There's a, a skeletal structure here 
of uh, your 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 set in concrete, your your steel rebarb, your real s major skeletal structure, your major support here is phenomenal. You find this a lot in the drum work. Uh, you find this a lot in the bass work and in the accents. But at the same time, those accents start being flared. The horns start being flared. They they they're the the curved lines. They're the unusual angles she's taking approaching uh, the song. The lyrics and her vocal work are also mirroring this with very straight thoughts that when you look at them are twisted, are, are, are circling ideas. It's so beautiful what's going on here because micro, macro, I'm it's loving this there. oratory exposition here. This is beautiful. <laughs> the micro and the What's macro is here. Uh, it's 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 everything that you you want to build while remaining its uh, its artistic side. That's uh, every yay yay all the gushing out, but there's there's one thing here that I'm not getting, and that's a a crux a. Crux a piece that's just drawing me in. This is a beautiful story. It's theme, arc, everything, but there's just a, um, a wow factor that I'm missing out on. And that's really gonna be the only thing bringing this album down. Um, there's nothing overly enticing, I guess. Oh. I don't, I don't know what, what to say this. There's just an it factor that's missing out here. Uh, and We've we've made the comparisons before in previous podcasts, and I'll make this comparison here to St. Vincent because it's almost inevitable that we're going to make this comparison because these are two artists that have been very closely related over the years. Um, while St. Vincent was safer in a pop structure, it had that hook that drew me in, that I just fell in love with, that that I was more glossing over maybe some of the mistakes that were going on there. Here, there's... Outside of So Easy, which I'm still on the fence on, there's there's really no mistakes I can point to and say that really wasn't done well or that really wasn't done well. But there's just, it's that final little bit that I, I, I see keeping it from a five. So I'm going to put it 4.75. No, 4.8. 4 4.8. Just solid through and through, but there's that one, that one tiny ineffable quality that's that's keeping it from five. So, um, I guess I'll start my wrap up. Um, I thought that I really wouldn't be able to find. So we, we've made these the comparison to Saint Vincent. It's been done already. Steve's done it himself. When we when we did review Saint Vincent, he did make comparison to My Brightest Diamond because they're artists he discovered at the same time. So there were comparisons in his in his own mind. They have somewhat similar origins, but they did take different directions. Um, I, as you know, if you've been listening, if not because you're new, well, welcome. Um, but if you'd listened to that episode, um, I gave St. Vincent a five because I was blown away. And as it's no secret, I've given out fives before. I don't give them out all the time. But typically, if I'm blown away and completely enthralled, uh, missteps musically and lyrically, I can forgive because when I feel passionately about something and really connect personally... That stuff doesn't matter. It's what brought me so close to F Future Islands. And every time I listen to Future Islands, I get drawn in more and more. I just connect with that record. Well, I didn't think I really had a connection to this. And then I realized I was looking at it from a kind of a different angle. I thought 
it was less personal than it was. But I also, at one point, thought that it was mostly just about her. But it's not. It's more universal than you think. And as, upon, as we broke it down, because I had trouble breaking down the lyrics on my own, but as I really got a sense of the narrative of the album, I really understood the personal aspects she's giving here. And this idea of the band's called My Brightest Diamond, this idea that she's naming the band, I'm guessing, for her brightest work, this band is her brightest diamond this song is this is this album is this is my hand this is my hand holding my brightest diamond it really is a true personal record and i didn't really get a sense of that at first but i see it now um that said i don't really see any missteps i i hear what john's saying about easy uh so easy but i don't agree i mean maybe musically there are some there's some repetitiveness but even that, it's like like Steve said earlier. I'm a lot. I'm 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 willing to forgive a lot of it because of the other stuff that's with it, whether it's the lyrics, whether it's the emotionality, whether it's you know just the structure itself or the layering. Um, I think that she really gives a very succinct arc as far as you know, kind of a prologue and then a breakdown of everything that happened. I don't even know that it has to be considered perfectly chronologically. It can be, but you can also kind of take things, if you want to assume that this isn't one person she's fallen for or hurt, and you want to assume it's several stories, it still fits in a structure really well. Um, oh, I have a whole other idea for the arc, and doesn't even include a, pro- a prologue. Be that as it may, I think that when you create songs like Shapeless and Resonance and Apparition... And I'm not the bad guy. And I'm not the bad guy. I mean, all of these songs just go to a place that, personally, as someone who's very emotional and identifies music emotionally, I'm not always willing to go to. And yet, she brought me there. And that's really powerful. Um, As far as a vocalist goes, she's, for me, on par with St. Fendon. I don't know if that'll be unanimous, but I think they're both brilliant vocalists in their own right, and I don't know that I could pick one over the other. Um, I just, I can't. I think they both are really great at what they do. Just like I've said several times, I love Justin Furstenfeld as a vocalist. I'm with you there on the vocal front and not being able to to compare. Um, you know, when you, have, when you have a really strong emotional vocalist, it doesn't matter. Like, there is no who's better. They're all excellent at what they do. Um, and I don't know that I could pick one over the other. This all said, it's just impossible to ignore how cohesive this record is. So... It's a five. Based on my standards and the way I judge, and I know that it's not the penultimate, but I don't grade for the penultimate. I grade for where I connect and fall. And I fell into this record, especially on the second and third listen. I really did get lost in what she was telling, and I saw it through her eyes. As if I were reading a book in first person, I experienced what she experienced, adding my own personal twist to it because I am who I am. But I really felt like I was reading a first-person novel that I was within behind her eyes of or her ears if you will interesting well as the bearer of this album uh for today's episode this is very very tough obviously i went into this saying that i had pretty high standards because yes sometimes i i very often compare against earlier work but really it just comes down my rating will always just come down to um uh comparison on the grand scale and what I'm really getting from music these days uh my fives are a lot more related with the music 
sometimes more so, but often just they go hand in hand when it comes to uh, the emotionality of it all. Now, the comparison to St. Vincent is, 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 is tough, but I'm going to really try to ignore it for the case of this. That was, a very, that was a very straightforward pop album, and I thought it was doing a lot for pop music. This is doing something completely different. It's doing something that, that I feel fuses the two together. I said this in my, in my intro, that it fuses together, uh, it fuses together th this sort of compositional style with perhaps a pop framework. You can still hear the, 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 the recurrences of these various different sections, and they are stated usually stronger than last time. It kind of provides this, this, this um, one-on-one introduction, uh, one-on-one introduction for anyone who might be unfamiliar with this style. And it, it it introduces them to a lot, as far as I'm concerned. I think I think this kind of um, this kind of still be relatable, but at the same time still don't sacrifice your art is one of the most important things you can do in music. Uh, beyond that, there are a, a, a few words about the theme here. I agree with Matt 100%. I think this is probably one of our most cohesive themes. The funny thing, interestingly enough, is that the theme has very it has many similarities with what we did in episode 104, which was uh, Future Island Singles. This sort of post-breakup um, rendition of the past that may or may not be true, and you have to kind of figure it out as you go along. This kind of presents the same thing, but in a less cagier perspective. Instead, it is guttural. And that is one thing that I really feel like I, I perhaps overrated that album for, is because even though it chose an appropriate framework, it didn't really choose a guttural framework. It, it, it was the music in that particular album, even though I rated it a 4.8 wholly for theme, I think the music still was lacking in the end, and I would probably lower it in the aftermath. Um, but you won't say that in the big board, because we never do that in the big board. In either case... However, it will come up in our yes, year review. it will come Make in, sure you write in that year, down. Or maybe a new column in the big board. We'll find that. We'll figure it out. You'll... You'll get ready for updates. In any case, this particular instance is a case which kind of... Uh, I really have to set aside my, my um, rose-colored glasses for that particular day because this is a case where it blends that same, that same theme, the same intriguing, very heart-wrenching theme with this sort of glorious musical phrasing of it all. Combine that with vocals that tell the tale really personally, really accurately. It comes down to me, it comes down in, in, in these, these sort of isolated chord progressions. And that's, those are the moments that grab me. And this, this, this album is, is, it's sparing about it because it doesn't want to sort of over, overdo it. It doesn't want to kind of cram it down your throat. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these aha moments that is very, very tasteful. But if I felt like this album was lacking only one thing, it is some some phrasing in the interim. I felt like there is certain tracks here. We encounter it a little bit in So Easy. We encounter it a little bit in the case of um, in the case of uh, uh, Lover Killer. That sort of like breakdown jam kind of effect. There are just certain moments in this album where it feels like it doesn't. It doesn't go as balls to the wall as it does in certain other moments. That seems like almost a ridiculous standard, but it, it can be done. It just means that, that you sort of have to take this moment as a wait for it, and then the moment is beautiful. Doesn't mean you have to sacrifice 
other moments. I'm not saying that this 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 album is is uh is ignoring moments, but I'm saying that it is is sometimes teasing you a little bit in the this this sort of grand weight. That critique is only worth a single point one. This is a four point nine, which is my second highest tied for the second highest to date. Okay. Well then. So clearly it meant you're very snobbish. Schnauzish? Schnauzish? Well, you have a big nose to that. Hi, what what did I, just say, yeah. you I was just looking up words. Jimmy Durante the other yeah. day. Use smaller yeah. words. He had an album once, which was called The Big Schnoz. This very... reflects your very snobby rating system. So did they make, make your, your snobby My Brightest Diamond passing mark? Oh, for sure. No, okay. it, indeed. That's the only, it's I mean, high, I remember... It's it's definitely a little more fluid than than probably her, some of her other albums, uh, only because her, al- her albums, while they portray the same sort of fantastical uh, creative muse, and I still think I'm going to say that up, up right front here. That's one thing I left out. This is cutting edge stuff music, really cutting edge stuff musically. I think it 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 is to be copied. It is to be furthered. It is to be just. It is to be immersed in. Would you say that this is her most personal record? Undoubtedly. Okay. There's other. I mean, there's other things where you could interpret. For instance, my favorite track from the first uh, from the first album was was uh, Dragonfly. Mm-hmm. It was a gorgeous track, but it was more of a metaphorical thing. This is an on the nose thing, which I think brings a new element to it. Either case, Dragonfly is still really really up there. <laughs> and speaking of personal level, uh, our discussion today is well, how do you take personal songs? And I'm not saying you know heart-wrenching, major events, life-changing, or anything like that. Just musicians who start talking in the first person. Because when a musician starts talking in the first person, same way an author, or a stand-up comedian, or just someone telling you a a story, different people will have different interpretations of what I am really means when they're hearing somebody else say this. Uh, we actually ran into the three of us, well, them two, not really agreeing with how I was taking it. Because from my own point of view, when I am hearing a musician say, I am, saying, I am running away, I am going to the store or something like that, I don't ever really put myself in their shoes. I never really see from their point of view. I see them doing something. I see the story of what they're telling me. And it, it made me take some of the stuff today, as we were discussing earlier, uh, like the, the track So Easy or the track I'm Not a Bad Guy. That's why we had a little bit of differences on, on how they were being interpreted. Well, you know, the funny thing, I mean, you are reflecting a little bit of a, uh, a thought that I had throughout this entire record. For instance, you know, there's moments here where I felt a little bit awkward every single time I say, I say, I say she experiences. Because it kind of identifies, well, I feel like when I say that, I'm saying Shara Warden. That's tough. That's really tough because I hate to sort of, to sort of break the fourth wall in that regard. I like to see albums as, as individual pieces that you could take as, as separate as you would a fictional a fictional tale yes you have autobiographies that go with it and yes you have biographies in which case you are meant to take it a little bit personally um and albums are kind of the same way when it comes down to it but they never really get the label you very often hear oh yeah this is an autobiographical album that's just kind of an odd thing to say because it's obviously going to be steeped in 
in lots of metaphor. Few artists are so on the nose, except maybe punk artists. They tend to be pretty on the nose. <laughs> Either case, it's um, it's a tough thing to get over. And maybe that that factors into to one other thing. I I I uh. I had thought in this sort of wrap up, and it seems that that autobiographical albums are kind of the, they're kind of the flavor of the decade. I can't go so, so broadly to say flavor of the year because obviously, or so narrowly to say flavor of the year because they've been done for a while. But they do seem to be kind of a recent thing. We we've gotten a lot of them recently. We got one, uh, a, a huge one in terms of uh, Beyonce's self-titled album, of. Uh, St. Vincent, actually, well, I believe her. St. Vincent, yes. That's another comparison for that. It's funny that she chose a totally different avenue for that particular album, but either case, it still was very personal. The Uh, Heist, yes. The Heist was another big one. Another kind of personal tale. I mean, it does seem to be kind of a new thing. And then maybe it was a little bit factoring in my little point one, just in terms of of theme, is because it's sort of this flavor of the the year. It does, um, excuse me, flavor of the modern trend as it seems uh there there is a little bit of a cop out there because it lays your heart so much on the on your sleeve that you kind of can't help but be a little bit enamored with the tale to be a little bit empathetic with the tale so you know it's something to consider as you're talking about fiction uh, excuse me as a fiction as opposed to um autobiographies and the same goes for albums I take perspective on most music is this. If I relate, I make it personal, period. It doesn't matter the perspective, but when it's in first person, even more so. Um, I'll first take it out of music for a little bit to give you an idea. When I watch a show that's hyper-depressing, very sad, very dramatic, I can't binge watch it. Because if I do, I become depressed. And the reason is, if I identify with the character, or even if I don't, but I empathize with the character... I feel what they're feeling. Once I start feeling what they're feeling and watch episode after episode, it becomes a snowball. I had to give up watching a show being human, the the American version, not the British one, because it was such an overwhelmingly depressing show and so many bad things kept happening. Episode after episode, I had to drop it because it was making me miserably depressed. It's a good thing you didn't watch the British version. Right, and but I. <laughs> this is why I haven't watched Breaking Bad or Mad Men, and I'm getting off on a tangent, but like I experienced very recently today. So I started watching a, a TV show called BoJack Horseman. It's a cartoon. It's mostly funny. It's very much in the vein of The Simpsons and Family Guy. It's an adult cartoon that's very oh, yeah, funny. I saw previews. That's a brand new show, isn't it? It's very good. I've been watching it on my lunch break at work, but it it's a dark comedy. So there are some really poignant, depressing, and personal moments. And then I walk away from my computer on my lunch break, and I'm like, God, I feel like crap. What? Oh. Oh, I'm not actually, like, I start getting introspective. Oh, is the work I'm doing on the podcast, what's the point? Who's listening? I realize, oh, I'm only getting introspective and hard on myself because I just watched something. Musically, I do the same thing. If I'm in a good mood, but I listen to a a lot of depressing music over and over again from a first-person perspective, it affects me. And I tend to draw more inward, become more introspective, possibly more depressed. And it's because it's that I. When I'm singing along to the lyrics, I'm saying I. I'm identifying as myself. I would posit that that's not entirely a bad thing, although it does depend on who you are. Especially if that puts... I'm not saying... No, no. Especially if that puts anyone in a position of, uh, of, um, of sort of stagnancy or, or, uh, or, or just 
paralyzation, then that's not a good thing, and you probably need to, you know, change the channel or, or, or uh, do something else, something that will uplift you. But for many people, it's also the kind of thing that's sort of the same reason why people seek therapy, for instance, is because it, it is it is a lot to unburden. Uh, it, to unburden yourself means a lot for many, many people. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people do the same with music. For instance, there are a lot of people that just don't need therapy for that exact reason. If they can find this this sort of outlet that lets them see certain things at various times in their life through music, through the uh, the 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 strife of a particular character or perhaps the artist in question, then that can do wonders for you, so that you come out of it resolute. And I think that's the difference is I may identify with these first person stories more because I'm an emotional person. I like to connect. I always like to connect, even with my friends, with my family, with my loved ones. Like, that's what I'm looking for in life a lot of the time. I'm an emotional person. So I think that's why I take a different perspective. Well, I, say, I feel the same way regarding those regarding those instances. I mean, I, I obviously connect with things that are emotional. The only reason I even sort of was a little bit wary, it was just from a marketing perspective yeah. that, you know, it can get cheap after a while if sort of every album you release is constantly this giant autobiographical tale. I believe it's the kind of thing that every artist is entitled to do once in their lives. Maybe um, twice. I don't be- like, Maybe twice. I wouldn't say once, but not often. It, and especially it's long careers. I mean, the people you're talking about have either been musicians for a long time, even though they've put out a handful of a- albums, or have put out a ton of albums. Like, look at, at, at Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. He's not had many albums, but he's been a musician for a very long time. Yeah, and it's true. I want to amend that. I don't want to, like, put these sort of overlying statements as if, well, oh, every artist is only allowed one big album. Obviously, you can do as many as you want, and it doesn't really matter. It's more of just a marketing kind of, like, this little thing should be in the back of your head. Yeah. There is a damaging factor to being a little bit too personal when it comes to your work, to, to having your heart in your sleep so much. Although, I mean, that is why we have the advent of fiction, is because fiction allows you to kind of place a certain something within the framework of a character that can still make your audience feel, but it doesn't sort of, like, identify, you know, the artist as, this is me. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a painful thing sometimes. And I think that's really where, where I'm going to differ from how Storm actually put it so... I understand now why our views are different because I kind of always view the hero, even when the hero's saying I, the hero, the villain, the person that is saying from this first-person point of view, uh, I am, as, as still another entity. I never would really envisioned myself as that person. And that, that's translated to how I listen to music. Because before I really, before I, I truly understood music on the musical layer growing up, I was always an avid reader. And I always separated myself from the characters. I never wanted to be the hero. So when I'm listening to, you know, my classic favorites, uh, either the ones my dad gave me or the ones I found on my own, I, I, I'd never envisioned myself as the character from Surf Wax America. Well, or anything like that. I never, when when someone when when you're going hello darkness, my old friend. I'm not friends with darkness. Uh, that character is friends with darkness. That's I always, I've always envisioned that distinction between my my own personality and the personality a a story a song is presenting to me. I think ultimately this also backs up one of our most longest running themes is that everybody listens to things very differently and 
but what what I think is also really interesting is that the the way John listens to it is different for me, not necessarily because we just listen to music differently, but how we bring in other art differently. But I want to go back to something Steve was talking about, about how a personal album can be a downfall or a fiction can be a downfall. So, not that the world needs another reason to hate Nickelback, but... <laughs> but the what reason... Hate's a strong word. What a segue. But, Pity might be better. But... Ouch. The reason that Chad Kroger, who's not a terrible singer but took a lot of flack was a lot of the songs that he wrote for Nickelback, he openly admitted, were not personal stories. Even the ones that were emotional and sad, he said, Uh. he'd fictionalized. Like the song Rockstar is not about him and his partying. It's a fictionalized rock star. Same with some of the more emotional songs that they've done. He's plucking from other stories, and people felt frauded when they were getting invested in his story, and it wasn't his story. And that could hurt you greatly. Okay, well, this is taking another opportunity for me to further refine my statement, which is riddled with flaws at this point. Obviously, let's do this systematically here. In, In John's particular case where he described fiction, we can almost evenly divide the existing work of fiction between 50% of... Third person, 50% first person. Obviously, I don't have any numbers to this effect, but, you know, just look back in the amount of stuff that you've read, you can probably find a pretty clean divide. Then you move on over to music. Music, because it's so inherently personal and because it doesn't really have to be so so broadened as fiction. Fiction can be a very broad genre. It doesn't. It can tell societal tales. It can tell things that are, are almost completely removed from the person, things that, that, that concern governments and nations. But, you know, music, these things are a little bit more rare. Yes, they are done, but it's certainly whenever they're done, they're, they're described as concepts, which are the exception to the rule. About 90, 80 to 90%, I would say, of music is in the first person, and it is personal. Obviously, we're excluding instrumentals, which, of course, they're just impressions that, that you can gather from said artist or simply... Uh, um, superimpose your own emotions on. But if you're just taking lyrical content, lots of it, lots of it is in the first person. And yes, it can be very emotional um, just therein. But then go to my statement. That was the fact autobiog- autobiographies that concern an entire album. In other words, this sort of like, this is my personal album. Well, w- were the others not? Is the big question that I would have. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of like, well, what makes this so important over that of the others? Often it has to do with a more of like, you know, my life as I experienced it. And in this particular case, this album, it, it certainly covered aspects of life, but, you know, you can't possibly cram in everything. I mean, This Is My Hand could have, could have, uh, it could have touched upon a number of things. It touched upon this, and I'm very satisfied with what it touched upon. But still, it's only one aspect. You probably could have retitled the album and still gotten away with, with much of the same thing. I mean, it... I think to define this as a personal work, and I haven't even heard this read per se. It's more of an interpretation that we have just based on the the uh, the data at our disposal. But even so, it shouldn't disparage the other work, which is still inherently personal. People still relate to it. You know, don't make it so that you can't necessarily follow up an album and say like, oh well, uh, this is a new personal album. You know, or part B. It's a kind of thing that sort of entraps you, whereas if you just released earnest works on a regular basis, then it would always be that way from your first piece to your last. I would also like to take it back to something John had said before 
we kind of because we're coming to like a fine-tuned point on this conversation but john mentioned that he reads fiction that's in the first person from the third person he interprets it as someone above the I, I interpret that person talking to me i guess what it really boils down to so i'm still keeping it as a separate entity from who i am well, and and i don't know that it's that wall i've built so, well, that's one of those things that I got a sense of that from a, an actual song, actually, that your perspective was. Um, kind of my closing on this is I, there is a song, one song I can specifically think where I didn't feel I was the character. It was an actual character, and I was observing his actions, and he was speaking the first person. And this, MC Frontalot does a very fictional song called Stoop Sale about finding a magical buckle at a stoop sale outside his apartment, which is clearly fiction but clearly about him, that he, and he claims it actually happened. But I don't put myself in his shoes. I take it as a story that he's narrating about himself. There, so I, I kind of see where you're coming from. There mm. is one song I'd like to bring up that I, I do envision myself completely inside, and that is Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and that's because the entire song is second person. It's one of the few songs I can even think of that's kind of... Sp- Spoken to you in the second person, which is a, a, a version of literature that is largely unexplored, and version of music that is a little bit more explored, but still very rare, because it's picture yourself, not I picture myself. It's it's. Think that might be my exception to the rule. So that's why I find this this attraction to instrumentals is because. I feel that in many ways, this is sort of the exception to both rules. You really don't have to have a first person. You really don't have to have a third person. And I think that's why it's always been really... I I think, just to go back to your uh, statement, Matt, that, you know, well, as an emotional person, you, you, you connect with these things that are very personal. I believe that as an emotional person, it means that you can also connect to things that are... That, that do not have to be directly first person to first person. You just said in terms of a fictional sort of uh, framing, you can also find the same exact thing. This sort of uh, superimposition. Well, I, the ultimate superimposition, as far as I'm concerned, just as a listener, and maybe perhaps also as a musician, is that I find it in the instrumentals. It, it, like, there's no greater superimposition that you can possibly construct, where you have these vague tones that are supposed to mean something, they probably mean something very important to the artist that made them, but as we as listeners are supposed to kind of feel the same thing. At the same time, there's an art in perhaps uh, framing the variances, the, the varieties that we experience from one person to the next. Some person feels slightly different. Uh, to a, a particular tone, a particular chord progression, as the next person does. At the same time, there's also this marvelous unity to it all, where people feel the same exact things, and yet no words had to be said. It's it's this kind of ultimate unifier where I I, I always go back to, and it seems to be my my ultimate emotional go-to thing. Not to impugn uh, lyrical work in oh, any in any ways, but in it, but it's you know it's just sort of this this fact that. You, if, if, if music is such an emotional thing, then why not use the music? Right, and I think that's another great way of looking at it as well. I think these are all different, just different ways that you can kind of break down how you interpret something on a personal level, and that's ultimately what we're getting at, is how you break down something on a very personal level. And that's also why I had a hard time with um, episode 104's Future Island singles also, is because the music, you know, as, as much as we were able to infer, it was a lot of inference, yeah. where the music didn't carry it 100% for me. That's a lot of what my, my fives and my upper echelon stuff constitutes. So, there we are. There we are. <laughs>
um, before I give you guys a taste of what we're doing next week. Um, so as I had said before, we're not having Rashmi um, until the first uh, week of October or yeah, it'll be the second podcast of October, but it's within the first week. Anyway, so next week will be my pick. But first, Steve, a little spam mail, if you would. <laughs> also, John, sorry to uh, to to break the topic away from uh, first person or third person, and I just said neither. <laughs> no, it's completely acceptable because that is an aspect of music. I just thought I propose talk about music here. So propose the you exception, the big glaring exception to the rule. That's not even a tangent; it's an incidental at this point. There we are. There we are. Okay. Hi, I love your writing very a lot. Percentage we keep up a correspondence more approximately your post on AOL? I require a specialist on this house to resolve my problem. Maybe that's you. Taking a look forward to peer you. They just get weirder and weirder. Creepier. Uh, That was by GoziPro Resultados. Okay, no, I completely spaced after. Hi, I love your writing very a lot. And very I was done. a lot. That very was done. A lot. Very a lot. Because, like, when they get interpretive and start doing random things, that's one thing. But when you are really Let's just Let's not use the word interpretive for the spam bots. No, no, this is just blatant grammatical incorrectness. I don't know. There's a lot of other interesting things here. Specialist on this house? Maybe house? A specialist on the house? I don't know. Maybe a specialist on House the TV show. I don't know. When, when, Take a look forward to peer me. That's creepy. Yeah, that's stalkery. That's pretty stalker. It is pretty stalkery. I would agree. I think Goji we're all Pro in Resultados. Thank, Thank you, you for that. Um, so next week it'll be my album pick, and um, I decided to go a different route. I mean, clearly I'm known to bring more mainstream pop culture referred artists because um, that's kind of my middle ground of where I live. I kind of waver back and forth, but that's kind of where I rest. Well, recently U2 released a brand new record called Songs of Innocence, and it was released worldwide on anyone's, for free, for anyone who had an iTunes account. I have an iTunes account. I got it for free. I figure we might as well review it, because it's probably one of the most downloaded records right now, because you have to. Yeah, there was no choice. So, and also I have this thing that it's really easy to crap on pop artists. And, I mean, U2's kind of gotten that vein. But you know what? U2 made some really great music. And this is a new album. I haven't heard new works by them in a while. Bono and The Edge are talents, as well as the other guys in the band that nobody mentions by name. Bono's pop image is very conflicted. But that doesn't mean his music can't be good. He's... I think it boils down to he's the rudest Santa Claus you'll ever meet. But but the point I'm trying to make is that I think we sh- this is a great experiment in judging something by the music and not the people who made it, which is important to do. And we've not really made a statement of, you know, we've had preconceptions of bands, but we haven't really judged it based on personal experiences with the artist or their personality. So I think this is a fun experiment for us. And plus, I used to really like U2. I still do like their older stuff. So this I is true. That, that's another thing I think people are overly critical with. And when it comes to older bands who it's cited that they lost it, well, people are rarely in their prime, you know, after, after a certain age. The other things take their mind. It's kind of just like we were talking about earlier in this album. There's that kind of shapelessness. They're not always going to be this sort of, this sort of untamed artist that they were at that one moment when they made those few great albums. Sometimes that's just the culminating, that's, that's what, why we have the term magnum opus. Can you really just sit there and just expect that constantly? And also, it's, it's on, it's, you know, even my, uh, my 
unrealistic uh, expectations notwithstanding, it, it really is unrealistic. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just a, a fluctuating career is a fluctuating career. So we'll see what U2 has for us next week. True. Um, on that note, we will wrap up, as we always do, by saying music is life. And, and life is good. good.